things I'm learning this morning. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past six. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, the 27th of February. According to my ISP, internet service provider, I'm going to get the internet today. Yeah, according to them. That's like two and a half weeks after I've moved into my house. And do you know what? I bet I don't. I've got a feeling I won't be getting it. We will find out. Lots coming up on the show. As always, we're good to get your opinion on these. Some of the things we're talking about include... We look at the cost of interpreter services in courts in the three counties and why a top barrister says a government plan to make savings hasn't worked. Luton Town have got a new manager. John Stills taken over from Paul Buckle. Is he the right man for the job? I don't know. And if you're a school governor, you should be paid. That's what the head of the Education Watchdog says. We'll find out why in the next hour. If you want to get in touch, lots of ways, of course. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give us a call, 08459 555555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, government savings to interpretation services provided in law courts have been branded a con on the taxpayer and a con on the victims of crime. That's the view of the chair of the Criminal Bar Association, Michael Turner QC. He says that far from making savings, it means more expense in the long run. Since Capita took over the £90 million contract to provide interpreter services in courts, uh, translators, including some in Milton Keynes, say they may have to give up as the pay is so poor. Well, our reporter Tony Fisher has been following this. For those who are perhaps a little bit hard of thinking at this time in the morning, explain the role of an interpreter in court. Well, Ian, they provide a vital service. Say um, you're held up in a French court, you speak French, uh, you've hit someone over the head, yes. God forbid, yes. um, you're going to need an interpreter, even if you speak French. Yes. Um, because the level of language used in courts is somewhat elevated, perhaps, especially mm. in a French court, say. Um, you're going to need an interpreter to interpret what's going on in the court so you understand what's happening, the process. Even if you go onto a court for the first time and you speak very good English, it can be very intimidating. So... As a defendant, it's vital that you understand what's going on and also that you can then communicate to your lawyer what you feel mm. and the lawyer can communicate with you so that he knows where you're coming from and there is a, a dialogue. And it's basically about open justice. Yes. If, if you can't be tried I- I- openly in, in, in a British court, then, you know, that's not fair and it's not what the British system is about. How, so much, how, much, sorry, how much do they cost? I'm assuming it's fairly expensive. Well, the, the, the whole point is, uh, is that they were being paid a fair amount of money. I've spoken to a, a translator in Milton Keynes who said he was earning up to about £18,000 last year. Mm. Uh, but now uh, he says he's barely making £6,000. Um, and that is because of the, the, the reductions that the government has made in, in, in savings, in, in clamping down on this um, by only making them... Uh, they, they're only paid for the time they spend in court. Mm. Um, so it was raised in a, in a court case recently that I went to where the, the lawyer stood up and said, um, my, uh, my interpreter um, has, has been working with me outside of court hours. You know, he's been doing hours and hours of work with me trying to prepare this case or in, in for legal argument. Um, and he raised it with the judge. He's not being paid for out-of-court hours. Mm. 
So the problem is, the problem is, although the government say they're saving millions of pounds, 15 million last year, the problem is uh, it's actually leading to more delays and costs because you're not attracting the right quality of translator. Um, If they're only being paid for their court time um, and nothing else, um, it's going to make it hardly worth their while even bothering to come to court. So sometimes what Michael Turner QC has said is mm. you get the wrong translator. Sometimes you even get the wrong translator turning up to court. What do you mean, the wrong translator? He speaks the wrong he language? Does, he speaks the lo- either the wrong language or the wrong dialect. Wow. Completely useless. That is basically... Uh, a waste of a day for the court. So nine o'clock in the morning, the fella comes in, he speaks Polish instead of Czech, the yeah. whole day's cancelled. Yeah. Or he speaks uh, the wrong dialect, yeah. or, you know, because there are so many different languages out there. Um, and it's it's a waste of a day. I mean, a court, roughly speaking, costs round about, anecdotally, I've been told, about £8,000 a day to run a basic, mm. I say basic, you know, two-barrister case, murder trial. Um, that's, you know, that, that that's a waste of a day. And you've spoken to some translators who are kind of thinking of jacking this all in because of the, the cut in the money they're getting. Yeah, translators in Milton Keynes. I mean, they, they are very upset, very angry. Um, you know, when, when, this, uh, when, when the government started outsourcing the whole service, taking it in-house to, to, to outsourcers to apply language solutions in 2007, that's when the problem started. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the pay was being cut, they, they didn't get the mileage. He says that maybe to go to Leeds, do a two-day case, it's not worth his while. doesn't get the mileage, mm. what he's get paid is so minimal. He says from Milton Keynes to Luton, he can maybe make a bit of money. But on the whole, he, you know, he can't. He's, he's been... He's trained, he's qualified, he started at Milton Keynes Council, he set up a service there, they put him onto a course, De Montfort University, um, and now he, he, he's, he's really struggling. Um, Who, so whose fault is this? Is this the government for trying to save money, or is this Capita, the company that got the £90 million pounds contract? Capita took over from Applied Language Solutions, it's basically more or less an, a name change, but it's basically the government's fault in trying to save money, they outsourced it, like a lot of things, they privatise mm. a lot of things, um, and so they're trying to save money, they, they say they're trying to save the taxpayer money. But what Michael Turner QC, the, the chair of the Criminal Bar Association, says, and he represents 3,000-odd lawyers, mm. he says it's actually a false economy because you get, if, you, if you, you don't get the service, you don't get what's written on the tin. You know what I mean? If you're not getting the right translators, you're not getting the right quality of people, uh, and you're not attracting the right quality of people, mm. then you're not, you're, you're gonna, it's going to lead to delays, court-wasting time, it's going to take longer. It's going to take longer. It's going to, uh, uh, it's going to annoy magistrates, judges, everyone else. And, you know, as I say, it's even been raised in court. Uh, that example I gave you where the defence lawyer mm. raised it with the judge. And Margaret Hodge, who's the chair of the National um, Public, of the, of the Public Accounts Committee, said it's appalling that the Ministry awarded ALS, Applied Language Solutions, a £90 million contract to provide a service uh, essential to ensuring the proper administration of justice that was clearly beyond this company's uh, ability to deliver. Uh, finally, what does the Ministry of Justice say about this? The Ministry of Justice says uh, there were significant issues, they do admit that, at the start of the contract in early 2012, but we took swift and robust action and have seen dramatic improvements. Uh, the vast majority of the interpreter bookings are now being completed and complaints have fallen considerably. Uh, the changes we have made have led to major savings for taxpayers, uh, totalling £15 million in the first year. We continue to monitor the contract on a daily basis and demand continuing progress. Tony, thank you very much. Thank you for coming in nice and early. Just, just quickly 
quickly before before we go, just literally seconds before we went on air, you said, "Oh, by the way, and I should just tell you, my daughter thinks JVS is much funnier than you are." What, what, what's that all about? Well, I did tell you that yesterday, yes. and um, well, what's I don't understand what that what that's about. How old is your daughter? She's nine. Oh, uh, uh, yes. Well, he, he appeals to the lowest common denominator. Well, he does. Oh, I was trying to make you feel better, in a way, because he appeals to the lowest common denominator. You appear to the, you know, the highbrow element. There we go. You've saved yourself just yeah. in time, Tony Fisher. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. The top th- ten things that people argue about in bed is in, the, uh, is in the Daily Express. And it's got the usual things, fidgeting, snoring, different body temperature. How can you... What? Although saying that, my wife likes nice and warm. Windows open for me, please. Windows open for me, even in February. Uh, hogging the duvet, not being in the mood for sex, Dutch ovens. I won't know. I won't go into detail, though. Uh, one partner keeping the light on. Number nine is the time couples go to bed. Number ten is allowing children or pets to share the bed. Number... Yes, Ollie, work experience is demonstrating what a Dutch oven is to producer Laura, who's far too posh to know what that means. Number seven. The number seven, the, the seventh biggest thing that we argue about with our partner in bed is... Uh, sorry, no, number eight, I apologise, is watching TV while the partner wants to go to sleep. And it kind of got me thinking... I haven't got a TV in my bedroom, and I used to have one, little little portable, one of those big heavy portables that, that weighed a ton, uh, and I liked it because we'd watch DVD sometimes, uh, for a while we had a Skybox, then we got rid of that, and I'd also play my N64 in there. And then about four years ago, before my kids were born, my wife and I made the, br- the bold move, should we get rid of the TV in the bedroom? Mm, yeah, okay. It came from her. We did it, and I'm so glad we did it. It's the best. I can't imagine having a TV in my bedroom anymore. Why would I want to sit in bed watching TV? There's nothing on. Have you got, dear listener, a television in your bed, in your bedroom, and do you and your partner argue over it? Hey, here's something that... Thank you, uh, Joni Mitchell. Here's something that yesterday... We moved into a new house, right? Uh, and it's got burglar alarms. It's got well, burglar alarms in it. And we... Oh, now how do I phrase this so we don't get burgled? We wanted to change contract, basically. So we wanted to move from the burglar alarm provider to another burglar alarm provider. And that would have meant there would have been a week when we didn't have burglar alarms. And then we've got burglar alarms. So, we thought we didn't have burglar alarms in our house, right? I'm having a little doze in the afternoon and suddenly there's a beep, beep, beep. I think what wakes me up. And then this almighty... It was like... The apocalypse was coming. I've never heard such an amazing alarm in my life. Literally deafening. Literally deafening. And my kids start screaming. And I run downstairs and my wife has bundled the kids up because they are just in his, just terrified. Got them out of the house. And it's so deafening. My, I've got, my ears are ringing now from it. And she put them in the car. I said, right, I'm going to go around to my mum's. You sort this out. Oh, brilliant. I'm literally, I'm there in the front in just my jeans. Didn't have a top on, ladies. Yeah. And they go, well, what do I do? I, so I'm, I'm there with the, the, the control pad. Bearing in mind, I've never worked an alarm before in my life. Just, like, typing in numbers, thinking, oh, maybe, I can, maybe I can hack this. I think I can, maybe I can hack this. And just guessing it. Like, I don't think you can hack them. And as I'm doing that, a fire engine pulls up. I'm like, oh, no. And this, <laughs> I know, a firewoman? Who would have thought it? A firewoman jumps out. I went, I'm really... She's, what, what, what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I, I, the alarm's gone off and I don't know how to stop it. And she kind of gave me that look as if to say, you... And then she, she was... Actually, she was very nice about it. I said, I'm really sorry. We've literally just moved in. I don't know what the code is to turn this alarm off. We thought it had been turned off and we were going to get a new one in a week. And she went, oh, don't worry. You've not wasted our time. We were just at the office drinking tea, watching The Chase. 
They were just watching the chase. Anyway, we got it sorted out. But it was uh, I had to phone up the estate agent and kick off. And then I had an argument with the the, uh, the provider of the alarm. I said, I want you to come and deactivate this alarm immediately. He said, yeah, we can do that, mate. It'll cost you 185 quid. I told him to jog on. and <laughs> I said, jog on, mate. I'm not flipping paying that. Weren't my exact words. But uh, if I seem a little bit fractious today... It's because the flipping alarm went off and the fire brigade turned up. And my boy was so upset. Upset because the alarm had gone off and terrified him. And then when I said, oh, you'll never guess what, the firemen turned up, he burst into tears because he's missed the fire engine. Will the fire engine be there when I go back, Daddy? Yeah. No, they, they want to go and see how the chase ends. Ah, oh dear. Sorry, just a little going off a little tangent. Now, something slightly more important than uh, my high-class problems. Elderly people living in council-run sheltered accommodation in Luton could lose their live-in wardens. Luton Borough Council is carrying out a consultation with residents living in 22 sheltered housing schemes. They're considering withdrawing on-site managers and introducing office-based staff to provide daytime support instead. Lorna Hankin met some worried residents at a sheltered accommodation in Bethune Close where they live, uh, where they have a live-in scheme manager called Jenny. It's a wonderful complex. We all look after each other, very friendly, and it was our scheme manager who made us that way because she encouraged us to get together and communicate with one another. So if it wasn't for her we probably wouldn't be as close as we are. She's there if we've got a problem. It can be a personal problem because obviously we've got to know her so well. We feel that we can trust her. And that's the only reason I moved in here, because you feel safe when there's a warden on site. Otherwise, I wouldn't have moved in here. I could have moved to any flat. It's security more than anything, because you know there's somebody there that you can call on. If you do have a problem, you can always talk to her. They've actually implied a firm of consultants to conduct this consultation with us, and basically what they want to do is make changes to take away permanent resident warden. So you'd have a roving warden who would be covering, say, four or five different uh, sheltered schemes rather than being resident in her own scheme. She goes the extra mile. The residents here are paying for this. She's just a special person, you know. So when you move in, is your rent higher than it would be elsewhere yes, because you had a live-in person here? Yeah, you pay uh, that bit extra for the resident warden. Have you got some vulnerable people here who can't speak at this consultation, who actually aren't represented? There's one in particular. He is a stroke victim and cannot communicate verbally, but because our scheme manager's been here for so long she can communicate with him better than any of us because she's got so used to him does he have family or friends he has no family whatsoever the scheme manager is his family so you could say this warden's pretty much his lifeline oh absolutely it's everyone's yeah so you're showing me the letter that says the council is looking for the best way to provide a quality and cost effective service that continues to meet the standards of sheltered housing residents in the future like all local authorities across the country, the council is facing significant budget cuts, which amounts to a required saving of up to 48 million by 2016, in addition to the 36 million which has already been saved since 2011. This is part of their savings. This would become part of cutting their budget. What does that mean to you, being people of a certain age, presuming you've worked all your life, paid your taxes? This should be ideally a time when you could be looked after. Exactly. How does that make you feel? Just think the priorities are all wrong. It's the old story, you know, you always hit the vulnerable people, the people that need it, you know, whether it's old people or young people. She knows us all inside out. She can look at us and say, you're not very well this morning, are you? And we'll say, yes, we're fine. Don't tell lies. Now, come on, you can tell me. (laughs) 
Well, the council say that not all of the 22 sheltered accommodations in Luton currently have a live-in warden. Where it is proposed to move away from on-site scheme managers, we will provide a mix of daytime support. Yeah, because things only happen at the daytime, don't they? Oh, people only fall over in the daytime. Yeah, right. And improve the current 24-7 mobile services. They go on to say these proposals are part of a consultation and the changes have not been agreed and approved by elected members. Uh, we'll hear from the council and from someone living in one of those complexes later in the programme. If you do live in one of those places with uh, an on-site warden, how important is the warden to you? 08459 455 555. Surely that's kind of the selling point. Is if, I, if I've got it right, it's been a long time since I've been in one of those places, a couple of years, you have like a little buzzer, uh, and if there's any problem, if, you know, you fall over or something happens or you, you need a little bit of help, you press the buzzer, warden kind of knocks, you're right, can I help? Can we come in? I'm coming in. You're decent, I'm coming in. And then they come in and help you. That's how it works. Surely that's part of the appeal of those kind of places. I tell you, the only people I'm going to allow to have TVs in their bedrooms are elderly people who might struggle to get up a little bit. They're the only people I'm going to allow to have televisions in their bedrooms. Why on earth? It's the number eight reason that couples argue. Could you turn that flipping telly off? I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm watching this. It's, it's, it's Jeremy Carl on ITV2. Yeah, but could you turn it off? No, I'm watching it. Well, could you turn it, go and watch it down? I'm in bed. You don't watch TV in bed. TV is for sleeping and, well, just for sleeping these days. We've got two children. But you, you don't have a television in your bedroom. It's so intrusive. Why would you do that? If you've got a TV in your bedroom, could you give me a call? 08459 455 555. Let me know why you've got one. And does it cause arguments? I would imagine... I would imagine... It's mainly the blokes that want the TV in the room, and the women don't. Have I got that right? Is, is, is that... I, I would suspect that there'll be a few exceptions, but I, will sus- I suspect it's mainly the blokes who want to have the TV in the room. Um, and the women kind of... They tolerate it. 08459 455 555. Have you got a television in your bedroom? And why? Do something, do something brave. Get rid of it today. Put it in the loft. Put it in the cupboard. You don't need it. It'll improve your life. You'll, you're like talking stuff. Imagine that. Hmm. Actually. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie. Yes. Do you have a television in your bedroom? Uh, no. Ah, you see. Did, did, have you ever had a TV in your bedroom? Um, not. Uh. Huh? You, you'd remember, wouldn't you? I had one that didn't work when I lived at home, but God no, I haven't had one for ages. Hang on, you had a... This is... With the, I, the little glimpses we get into your life make me feel <laughs> even more sorry for you every and day. And it was just a spare TV. So you, your, your mum and dad or whoever gave you the TV. Go, there you go, Sophie, you can have... It doesn't work, but you can say you've got a TV in your room. Is that no, what happened? it didn't work, but you could watch DVDs on it. Ah, I see. That was enough. Sophie Tyler, thank you very much indeed. Let's get the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. That's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven. You seem uh, a sensible lady. You, you haven't got a television in your bedroom, have no, you? No, and I never have. Is it, it just destroyed... Why would you do it? If you're a couple, why would you have a TV in your room? That says so much about you, doesn't it? I also think that there's a certain amount of negotiation that needs to happen if you've only got one TV in the house. And so it's about, you know, your relationship. It's good for you. Hey, look at us. We're getting all serious. I know. Fancy that. I, I've ruined it, though, by sending you a, a message. Go and read it, and then you'll think less of me. Is uh, it rude again? Yes. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. You've got a TV in your room. Unless you're over the age of, let's say, 70, you're a loser. 08459 455 555. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, 
We're going to be talking school governors and also Luton Town have got a new manager. John Still has taken over from Paul Buckle. Is he the right man for the job? Well, our new manager correspondent, Justin Dealey, has been finding out what you guys, the fans, think. But more on that anon. Are you a school governor? You should be paid. Well, that's what the head of the England's uh, education watchdog, Michael Wilshire, has said, that too many governors focus on minor issues such as school lunches and the state of uniforms rather than holding head teachers to account. He's announcing plans to improve the role of the school governor later this evening. Well, reporter Gavin Lee is looking into this story. Morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. It's not quite the cat story we were hoping for, but we're, we're working on it. Exactly, yeah. You, you told me to, to cheer up with my stories. Yes. So slowly going to get there. <laughs> uh, just very quickly, before we go into this problem, what exactly does a school governor do? do? Because I've heard this phrase, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure what their, their role is. Do you know? Yeah, well, they're supposed to um, hold the head teachers to account, basically, to be um, monitoring the education standards. In fact, I, I think it's, I mean, you, you've hit upon the main point in this, which is uh, this speech today, Sir Michael Wilshaw, who's um, basically the, the head of the, the school's watchdog in England, will say that um, the, the worst governors are a bit like um, jurors, particularly referring to the <coughs> trial last week, who have Damn. no idea what they're doing, or no right. idea what the job should be. I think there is, he will say there are too many, many of them that actually have no idea what their own job is. So if we don't understand it, you know, certainly they at least should understand what their job is, which is to, to hold the head to account, which should drive up the level of, sort of yeah, education standards. He's mainly pointing to the, the failing schools and saying the schools that are failing are being failed by their governor. Uh, he's, he'll quote uh, 6,000 schools that have been rated less than good this year and he'll say that too often they're focusing on things like um, getting better um, school dinners they'll get better school uniforms or the standards he'll say of girls toilets uh, rather than actually which are all points in themselves, but ancillary to the point of actually uh, getting better um, scores. So, and he, he'll mention this scorecard. It, it sounds, in, in theory, to some that um, certainly the Governors Association said it just sounds an odd thing to do, but he's launching this um, at-a-glance report card. It's basically an, a simple way for a governor to know what they're doing. It'll have key information of, of the performance of every state primary and secondary school. Is he also suggesting as, as well that governors get paid? Yeah. He, he will say that if they can offer some incentive, then it'll attract some fairly you know, talented, bright, you know, wise governors to challenge you know, some of the worst schools. And so rather than just coming in as unpaid uh, volunteers from the local community and perhaps rest on their laurels a bit, you know, the carrot on the stick approach may work. Now that's being met with a, a fair bit of um, challenge. Bear in mind he hasn't done this speech in London yet, and mm. already the National Governors, Governors Association are saying they shouldn't pay governors, and they can do a professional business-like job without being paid. Uh, the sort of Ofsted uh, have countered that and said, actually, th- there is a good point here. If there, if there is provision p- for paying governors, um, actually more of them might come in, you might get the best of the best. And there are, I should say, there are provisions for paying some governors in certain circumstances, if there's a, if a temporary governing body uh, to turn around a failing school. But uh, in the main... Uh, um, you know, they're not used. Uh, Gavin, thank you very much. Gavin Lee, they're always uh, excellent. I, I think that we, anything we can do to improve school standards should be great. The way this studio works, I've got a little screen and it's kind of typed up what's coming up on my screen next. Work experience, uh, Ollie. School governors. He's missed out the first R. He's missed out the first R. That's what the school governor should be doing, knocking in how to... Sp- uh, there we go. Thank you very much. Now he's correct. Now I know what we're talking about. Thank you, Ollie. 08459 555 555 is the telephone number. Uh, we're talking about TVs in your bedrooms as well. 
Nick has texted in. 81333, starting his text 3CR. A TV in a bedroom? That's the start of the demise of a relationship. It does mean there's something lacking. You can't have a healthy relationship and have a television in your bedroom at the same time. It doesn't work. There's nothing I find more upsetting than the saxophone solo. I really, oh. It's that period, isn't it? It's from 1985 to 1989. Every song had a saxophone solo. I hate, I love that song. I love that song. But the saxophone solo, it's like, oh. The only good saxophone solo I've ever seen, and I'll, I'll tweet this, follow at Ian Lee, and I'll tweet this in a, in a few minutes. Is a bit, or, or you can YouTube it. The Sexy Sax Man. It, don't worry, it's safe for work. It's just this guy with a mullet and uh, a leather waistcoat. And he just keeps bursting into places. Like, he bursts into a school. He bursts into a museum and a restaurant and plays the saxophone solo from Careless Whisper over and over again. It's the funniest thing. Follow me, at Ian Lee, and um, I, I shall tweet that. It's, it's, it's safe for work. Don't worry, there's nothing, there's nothing naughty in there. Don't worry. Right, front pages of the newspapers. The Telegraph. Um, Iran's plan B for a nuclear bomb. Inspectors have been barred from plants that could produce plutonium for 18 months, but new satellite images show facilities active. And then Matt has done, um, Matt does these cartoons on the front page of the Telegraph of dubious quality. And it's, uh, two pic- it's a picture of two uh, Muslim women in the hijab. That's the full thing, isn't it, I think? And it says, the science says Iranian nuclear facility, and these uh, the Muslim women are saying... For one ghastly moment, I thought they were building a wind farm. Yeah, thanks for that, Matt. Don't, don't open with that one. Uh, the Times. Savers face hit in plan for negative interest rate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bank reveals radical move to kickstart economy. Savers face being hit by negative interest rates under radical plans by the Bank of England to kickstart the economy. The proposal to force high street banks to pay the bank for holding money rather than receive interest was greeted with disbelief in the city and provoked horror among pensioner groups. How's that, how does that work with mortgages, he says, thinking only of himself. Do I get paid for having a mortgage? Wowzers. Thanks, guys. The Guardian. Um, smoke, an explosion, then tourist balloon plunges to earth in flames. These are the pi- pictures of uh, this terrible tragedy in... Uh, Egypt, of these people that were killed in the splinter. Can you believe some people survived that? I think two people survived it. Did they? Oh, man, like just horrific. I saw the video on the news and you think, oh, dear. Images you don't want to see. An EU in turmoil as Italy halts austerity plan. Italians, what on earth are you doing? Berlusconi and uh, an Italian comedian who's going to cut it down to a 20-hour a week? What are you talking about? Berlus- you voted for Berlusconi again? You've got to love the Italians. They don't, they don't care, do they? Uh, yeah, you know that, that Muppet who was a bit of an idiot and got done for sexually harassing women and control the media? Let's get him back. I miss that guy. You know the guy that screwed up our country? I miss that guy. Let's get him back, shall we? The Independent. Uh, despair for savers as Bank of England mulls negative rates. Well done then for having the word mull on the front page of a newspaper. You don't see that very often. Uh, the Daily Mail. Um, fury as a Liberal leader calls journalists self-appointed... This is Clegg talking about Renard. Calls journalists self-appointed detectives for exposing scandal he and his party covered up. Then they have the headline, It's called a free press for a reason, Mr Clegg. That's the Daily Mail there. It's called a free press for a reason, Mr Clegg. It's so we can expose stories like this and then print pictures of women in their bikinis pretend, but pretending they're actually serious news stories. The Daily Express, Nigella Lawson has had a haircut. <laughs> That's the front page of a newspaper. Nigella Lawson has had, And it is a good haircut. Oh, you can't knock it. It's a good... I, I like it. 
She looks better if you... Turn to page 11 for, uh, more shots of Nigella Lawson, the multi-millionaire. Look, she looks, she looks better there. That's a better haircut picture there, page 11. But, um, really, front page news... Oh, no, they've got another story on there as well. How Romanian criminals terrorise our streets. Shock figures show 27,725 arrests by just one force in the last five years. Uh, and the sum? They've got a proper news story, for which makes a change. Uh, Miracle Man. Brit survives Egyptian balloon inferno, but 19 are killed, including his wife. Very, very sad story. If you want to have a little glimpse into the uh, private, nay, slightly seedy life of a member of our production team, Kelly Betts... Go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can see a picture of her in bed, lads. Yes, you can. You can see a picture of her in bed. Guys, go have a look at that. Uh, that that's all I'll say. <laughs> we'll discuss it a bit later on, shall we? Hey, listen, Luton Town, my favourite team. Come on, you hatters. Uh, score a goal. Come on, get a goal in. Yay. Boo. Ah. Uh, I went and saw them the other day, and those were some of the sounds that I heard other people making. They've got a new manager. John Still has left his pos- position as manager of League Two side Dagenham and Redbridge to take over from Paul Buckle. Well, last night the Hatters lost 2-0 to Braintree in the conference. But is John Still the right man for the job? Well, our slightly rubbish football team correspondent, Justin Dealey, has been looking into this. Come on, you Hatters! Go! Get a goal in there! Come on, the town! Come on, the town! Those weren't the only words you were chanting the other day. No, some slightly blue ones from other people around us, of course, but not me. Who on earth... Is this John Still, fella, Justin? Well, he comes with a decent record, to be fair, Ian. He comes from Dagenham and Redbridge. Uh, he won promotion to the Football League in 2007. And he also won the League Two playoffs in 2010. He's 62. He's vastly experienced. A lot of people are saying he could well be the right man for the job. What Luton Town fans want is stability. What, five managers in four seasons? He was at Dagenham for nine years. So we know he can do a decent job, but it's just so desperate at the moment, Ian. Luton Town in 10th position in the league. 14 points off a player spot and they haven't won in the league since the 8th of January that's a run of seven games mm. including that 2-0 defeat of Braintree which you mentioned so I've been talking to Luton Town fans this morning in the last 30 minutes or so and this is what they make of the new man in charge at Kenilworth Road Well Laura you're wearing your Luton Town hat with pride this morning the new manager John Still. what's your reaction to that appointment? Um, I think he should be given a chance at Luton Town. He did a very good job at Dagenham and Redbridge getting them up into the league. He can't do a worse job than Mr Buckle, so give him a go and see how it goes. But I think scrap the team, start again from scratch. So the team's really that bad in your opinion? In my opinion, there's three or four players I would keep and the rest I would start again. So this season, as we currently stand, absolutely no chance, despite a new manager coming in, no chance of promotion via the playoffs? I wouldn't say so, no. I think it's all over this season. I think we have to start again next season, fresh start. So Pat, we're talking about the new manager, John Steele, 62 years old, vastly experienced manager. Is that a step in the right direction following Paul Buckle? Uh, Personally, I think that if he's got the experience from the past, he's going to know the club, he's going to know the players. And I think it's, it's a step up, really, because he sounds like he's going to be more supportive to the players. He's got the experience. You weren't a fan of Paul Buckle at all. You're pleased that he's gone. Why weren't you a fan of Paul Buckle? I just think that you've got to be there for the good and for the bad. You know, you just basically can't be managing a team and just when you've come to the end, just 
say goodbye. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you should be support of the whole way, through the good and through the bad. Well, Madam John Still, uh, in your opinion, is he the right man for Luton Town? I think so. His record speaks for himself. He looks like he knows what he's doing and hope for the best. Now, what about other fans that you're talking to? Obviously, a lot of talk about who the manager is going to be. Now that he has been appointed, are they happy like you? Most of them seem upbeat and they seem quite happy with him. So, yeah, overall, I think they're quite pleased. And as the league table stands, no chance of promotion this season? He seems to think he might just do it, so fingers crossed. You believe, don't you? I he was do. talking about this magic wand yesterday, so if he's got one, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, but anything can help. <laughs> What, why is Buckle leaving, Justin? Just because of his poor run? Well, a lot of people thought that was the case. We heard last week that Paul Buckle had left the club less than a year in charge for, for personal reasons, oh, whatever yeah. that means. But um, in the last few days or so, I heard this kind of briefly last week, but, but he's uh, with Rebecca Lowe. That's his partner. Oh, she's yeah. a presenter on the TV station ESPN. Mm. And from what we believe, she's been offered a job in America. Yeah. So it's looking like those personal reasons are she's off to America. <laughs> Doing your nails, are you? Just have a listen. Do you hear that sound? <laughs> and Paul Buckle will be going with her. Yeah. If that's the case, come mm. out and say it in. Be yeah. transparent about these things. If you're in love with somebody yeah. and you want to go abroad with them uh, for their career, what's the problem with that? Do you Just this, be do, honest with the fans. Do you know what this noise is, Justin? Yeah, go on. It's me rubbing my chin. I'm doing a Jimmy Hill. <laughs> Chinny yep. Recon. Chinny yep. Recon. Jimmy yeah. Hill. He's going because his form has been rubbish. Mm-hmm. And they've said, listen, we're going to let you go. I, listen, I lost a job like this once. And they said, we're going to let you go, but we're going to let you say it was by mutual, dis- mutual agreement and then you can kind of make up your own reasons. Well, yeah, a lot of people, I'm sure, would totally agree with you, but if his partner has got this job in America, he obviously wants to go with her. And I think we need to get confirmation from either the club or, or Paul Buckle himself whether that is the case. But you're right, though, Ian, the form has been dreadful. And when you came to Kenilworth Road for the Millwall game, despite oh, all that dear. shouting and chanting and you getting behind the boys, yeah. they simply didn't turn up that day as well. They just did not display the magic. Justin, just going off on a slight tangent, Yes, you uh, are in a relationship with, with uh, a lovely lady. Mm. Uh, do you have a television in your room? Of course I do. Oh, mate. What do you mean, oh, mate? Why? What's your problem? Why, why, why do you do that? Your, your girlfriend, I've never met her, but I've, I've yeah. seen her. She looks lovely. She's, yeah. I'm sure she's very wonderful and intelligent, apart from mm. that she's chosen you. Mm-hmm. Why would you not want to talk to her? Why do you not want to be with her? Why do you, you spoon hey. with her? Hey, listen. The bedroom is a place for entertainment. That may well be a TV one night. It may be something completely different the next, but I could not have my life without a TV in my bedroom because when she's not there, it's company for me. Yeah, I think you've been too harsh. <laughs> you've really put an unpleasant image in my head, Justin. I think it's an image that you like, actually. Oh, go away, for goodness sakes. We'll, we'll speak to Andrew a little bit later on in the show. Andrew's, Andrew's called him. Andrew, we'll speak to you after 7 o'clock, if that's OK, because I want to give you the full uh, run that you deserve. Um, well, there's Justin Dealey. He's got a television in his room, in his bedroom, and, uh, well, he's explained quite, quite well that, that, that some nights it, the, the bedroom is for TV, some nights it's for, it's for other activities. I'm assuming he means reading a good biography. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. If you've got a TV in your room, there are problems in your relationship. It destroys it. It wrecks it. It ruins it. We'll speak to Andrew a little bit after seven. Maybe we'll speak to you as well. <laughs> This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past seven on Wednesday the 27th of February. The day that, according to my ISP, internet service provider, I get the internet. I bet I don't. 
I've got to phone them up afterwards and um, jog them on a little bit, I think is the phrase. Lots coming up between now and eight that I would love to get your opinion on, including court interpreters in Milton Keynes are thinking of giving up working because they're so poorly paid. Well, a top barrister says it's because a government plan to make savings hasn't worked. Michael Turner QC will be on the show next. If you or your relative lives in sheltered accommodation, how much of a difference does it make having a warden? Elderly people living in Luton are unhappy that theirs could be taken away, and they are prepared to fight the proposals. One of the residents and the council will be on this programme before half past seven. And you may have just heard then in the news about plans for the Riverside North development in Bedford. The Star Rowing Club is unhappy about them because they say the club can't expand. Well, do you have any sympathy for them? 08459 455 555 81333 is the text number. Start your text 3CR. Do put your name on, please, otherwise they don't get read out. Uh, and facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Oh, and if you've got a TV in your bedroom, your relationship's in trouble. BBC Three Counties Radio. Government savings to interpretation services provided in law courts have been branded a con on the taxpayer and a con on the victims of crime. Well, that's the view of the chair of the Criminal Bar Association, Michael Turner QC, who says that far from making savings, it means more expense in the long run. Since interpretation services were outsourced in a contract worth £90 million, translators, including some in Milton Keynes, say they may have to give up as it's no longer worth their while. Well, Michael Turner QC joins me now. Good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, Ian. Michael, what are your concerns over the cutbacks to interpretation services? Uh, well, there are th- th- there are no cutbacks at all. That's the problem. Um, this government, and indeed the last, have been obsessed by outsourcing publicly funded work. Um, the problem with the present interpreter services, which was started off by Applied Language Solutions and is now Capita, um, is that they... they su- don't supply often interpreted services. Um, interpreters don't turn up. When they do turn up, they don't speak the right language or they don't speak English. It, it costs, at a very conservative estimate, £110 a minute to run a courtroom with a jury. Uh, and so you imagine if an interpreter doesn't turn up for half a day, for an hour, uh, what the on cost of that really is for the taxpayer. And that's what's happening. Michael, sorry, did you say that some of these interpreters don't speak English? Uh, they often don't speak the language of the defendant. Yeah. Or if they do, they can't speak English. So we can't <laughs> understand them. So they're not an interpreter, they're just a person that speaks a foreign language. That's, it, that's in, I, I, incredible. It's probably no surprise to you, Michael, that, that we've spoken to um, several interpreters in Milton Keynes and they're g- considering giving up doing the job because the pay is so poor. Yes, uh, uh, and what, what, what happens when you outsource to the private sector is the private sector is desperate to make a profit uh, and therefore it pays absolutely appalling wages. These are, if you want proper interpreting services, these are professional people and you've got to pay them properly. It's as simple as that. You represent thousands of lawyers. Do they share your concerns about the cutbacks to the interpretation services? Yes, because we see it on a daily basis. Um, and it's just not providing proper savings for the government, for, for the taxpayer. And this is countrywide. It's, it, it's not just in the three counties. Mm. It's in, over the entirety of the country. 
Now, you're, you're, you're saying it's a con on the taxpayer and a con on the victims of, of crime. Why is that? Because on paper, it sounds like money is being saved. The government say they saved £15 million last year. Is that not the case? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, that's the way the government do its statistics. Um, what, what the government hasn't done is properly assess what, whether this is a true saving to the taxpayer. So, as I've just pointed out, if you have an interpretation, serv- interpretation service that doesn't actually provide the proper interpreters, and that causes a delay in the court system, the victim of crime is let down because the victim's case can't get on, and it can't be tried. And as soon as you've got a court that's not sitting and is delayed, then you're costing the taxpayer £110 a minute um, for that service. And that £15 million, which the government pretends it's, it's saved, is replicated ten times over on another balance sheet that the taxpayer never sees. Have you spoken to anyone in, in the MOJ or anyone in government about this? What, what, what's been their reaction? Uh, uh, we have been screaming at government um, about this. Um, it has yet to see whether it pays any dividends. Um, but the good citizens of of the three counties should know that they're not getting value for money. And is it true you're also worried about the creeping privatisation of the criminal justice system? Someone was telling me yesterday, is this true, you can get a barrister from Eddie Stobart's, the haulage company? Uh, well, Eddie Stobart's tells, says you can on its website. Um, I think they're dipping a toe in the water. Certainly it is planned, uh, if the government has its way, that in two years' time, that is exactly what will happen. The independent bar will disappear. Uh, it will be taken in-house by the likes of Eddie Stobart's, Tesco's, G4S, Serco, uh, and that's where you will go to get your, your legal services. Um, and it's not, going to, it's not going to save any money. Um, it's just going to drive standards down to an appallingly low level. I wonder where the Eddie Stobart's lawyer would, would park his, his lorry, because parking's limited in these places. Let me just quickly, before you go, Michael, let me just read you um, what the Justice Minister, Helen Grant, has said to us. She says, quote, There were significant issues at the start of the contract in early 2012. This is about the, the translation services. Yeah. But we took swift and robust action. We've seen dramatic improvements. The vast majority of interpreter bookings are now being completed, and complaints have fallen considerably. The changes we've made have led to major savings for taxpayers totaling £15 million in the first year, and we continue to monitor the contract on a daily basis and demand continuing progress. She makes it sound like everything's hunky-dory. As they always do. <laughs> You're not buying that. The problem that. is, she's not at the coalface. I and my members are. And um, you can't rely on those assurances. Michael Turner, QC, thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. No one would, no one surely would say that, um, that people aren't entitled to an interpreter in court. No, no one would say that, would they? Let's put that out first of all. Everyone would agree that you're entitled to an interpreter in court. Of course you are. As Tony Fisher, our reporter, said earlier on, if you're in a court in France or in Spain or, you know, Greece, somewhere where they don't speak English as the first language, you'd want an interpreter, you'd demand one, and you'd get one. And that's, that's what's great, is that we provide these people. But we want to be doing it in a slightly more cost-effective way, don't we? If, if, if these cutbacks, if privatisation has made this worse, that can't be a good thing. 
Can it? 08459 455 555. Back to TVs in your bedrooms. There's a survey in the Express today. It gives the top ten reasons for arguments in the bedroom. Fidgeting is at number one. Snoring. Three is different body temperature. Four, hogging the duvet. Five, not being in the mood for sex. Six is the, the Dutch oven. Seven is one partner keeping the lights on. Number eight is watching the TV while the partner wants to go to sleep. And that shocks me that anybody has still got a television in their bedroom. It's not 1987. We're not 14 years old. We're grown-ups. We're adults. Andrew's in Hatfield. Good morning, Andrew. Morning, Ian. You, you sound like a sensible chap. You've not got a TV in your bedroom, have you? Oh, God, I've just, just bought a bigger one. Sorry? I've just bought a bigger one. You've, you've bought a bigger one for the bedroom? Yeah, a, lot, a bigger screen, flat screen. Are you single? No, I've been married 43 years. 43? Have you really been married 43 years? I have, and it's, TV's not always on. We have six children. <laughs> Sorry, you sound like you're about 35 years old. No, I'm 64. Are you really? You've got, you've got a very young voice. I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. <laughs> but but d- how, how long have you had that television in your bedroom for? Well, since you've been talking about this subject, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Um, and it's probably about 10 years. At what point... Ha- OK. Have you had any kids since having the TV? I'm guessing not. We've got 14 grandchildren, which stay over quite often. OK, but I, I, I've looked into this, and I know that you're not directly responsible for the grandchildren. Did... did Whose decision was it? Because my theory on this, Andrew, is it's more the blokes that want the TV and the women kind of go, if it keeps you quiet, go on then. No, this is how it is, right? I taxi drive and I get up at five o'clock every morning. Yeah. And uh, so I like to go to bed about nine-ish and watch the last programme in bed. And my wife has got knee replacement and needs another one, so she's uncomfortable sitting on the settee. Yeah. So we sit. And we watch, we have a cup of tea, the last programme, <laughs> between nine and ten. Oh, that sounds... I can never have a cup of tea straight before bed, Andrew. I'll be up all night having a wee. Oh, you need to see the doctor then. I, I, well, I do. I, 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 think, I think possibly I do. OK, so it works for you. But, and what kind of stuff are you watching? Anything that might be on, you know, of interest. Yeah. Uh, last night we were watching that... Um, I can't remember what it's called now. That, that detective that's in the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, I know the one. Yes, it's got that, that comedian in it, Ben Miller. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were watching that. Um, some t- watch the headlines of the news and then turn everything off because I've got to get up the But do you, not just, do you not just cuddle your wife, Andrew, kiss her, talk to her, ask her how her day has been, tell her what y- the interesting, famous people you had in the back of your cab? As soon as, we get, as soon as I get home, my wife and I discuss the day, like what each day, what we've been doing. I talk about the family, find out what the kids have been up to, get all genned up on it. Then the telly goes on. Maybe. Depends. Um... And then uh, we have something to eat, and the TV goes on a bit later. What do you argue about in the bedroom, Andrew? Nothing. Ooh. Don't argue. Really? No, we don't, we've never argued. You're good. Andrew in Hatfield, thank you very much. All right, the exception that proves the rule. I'll let, her, I'll, I'll let Andrew and his missus keep their TV in their room. Marina has uh, uh, tweeted, I hate having a TV in the bedroom, but he insisted. So now we also have them in the kitchen, the spare room, and the sitting room. Well, yes, there you go. You see, you, you, you would, wouldn't you? It's, uh, and we've got an, uh, an email here. If your partner wants to stay up and watch some dreary show, there is a problem. I know a lady who has a TV in her room and one who doesn't. The one who doesn't is much more fun. 
We go for meals, days out, and have lots of giggles. The one who has got a telly just wants to stay in and watch them dumb reality shows and those morbid soaps. That's from Mick. If you've got a television in your bedroom, your relationship is in trouble. And if you don't argue about the TV... What do you argue about in bed? Elderly people living in council-run sheltered accommodation in Luton could lose their live-in wardens. Luton Borough Council is carrying out a consultation with residents living in 22 sheltered housing schemes. They're considering withdrawing on-site managers and introducing office-based staff to provide daytime support instead. Well, Councillor Tom Shaw is the housing portfolio holder for Luton. Morning, Councillor. Morning. And Veronica Gudgeon lives in Bethune Close. Good morning, Veronica. Good morning. Now, Veronica, you have a live-in uh, warden who is Jenny. What does what does Jenny do for you, Veronica? Um, how how do I put it? She she does a great deal for us. Um, she was when uh, I first went there. Anyway, um, we were having tea and coffee mornings, which she's the one who suggested us uh, so that we could all get together and um, communicate with one another. Um, so, what can I say? But aren't the warders, because we, we looked for a, a while ago at putting mum into a, a sheltered housing and it wasn't going to work out. They can be there I- if you have a fall and help out for things like that, can't they? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Um, and, of course, because they're on site, they can get there much quicker. And how does it work, Veronica? If, if, if a resident had a bit of a fall, have they got one of those alarms that they, they press and, and then uh, uh, Jenny kind of rushes up just to make sure everything's OK? Um, yes, they do have an alarm, but it actually goes to central control. Right. And then central control, if Jenny's on site, <coughs> will contact her, and then she comes over to check uh, to find out, you know, what's happened. Well, Veronica, if, if these um, calls are being put out to central control already, will you really miss having Jenny on site? Yes, of course we will. Tell me why. Um, because she's, she's done so much for us, um because uh, she's taught us to communicate with one another. Um, she's also helped to set up a, a fund account. Um, her advice was invaluable, which means we can afford trips out and Christmas parties, etc. She's also helped us um, set up savings accounts for emergencies that may crop up or for buying Christmas presents, etc., which is especially helpful for housebound. An elected person can withdraw amounts for them as and when required. And um, our scheme managers helped us to make a close-knit community. All right, Veronica. Well, let's, let's speak to Councillor Tom Short. Tom, why are you considering getting rid of wardens when obviously they mean so much to people like Veronica? Exactly what Veronica said. What's happening across the town is you get different levels of service. But no-one's considering anything at the moment. What it is, is even the members of the council can't make their minds up. Some officers are in favour of this new, uh, the wardens being in the areas. Uh, a lot of members of the council believe in the status quo, what Jenny's just said, and I'm one of them. But we have got to go and ask the people their views, because what you were talking about, the warden control system, mm. there's so much new stuff on the market at the moment... These, these can, are the alarms you're referring to? The, the, yeah, the, the, well, yeah. it's got a lot harder than just alarms. Right. It's, uh, you know, there's mats what you put your side of your bed and if you're used to getting up at 8 o'clock, it'll register on the computer and if you haven't got up one morning by half past 10, they can come over the alarm system and say, are you all right? You know, you haven't got up yet this morning. Is it is it a cost-cutting measure? No, because- this, this is one thing it isn't. This is about the future and how we do it. What we've got is a lot of people what stay want to stay in their own houses now. 
We want to stay at home rather than going to the shelter block. And we want to put all these alarm systems into their houses as well. Uh, but it's, it, it's a real difficult one. It is a toughie, isn't it? In, in the letter sent to residents, I've not got the letter in front of me, but I'm, I'm reliably yeah. informed that the, f- the letter from the BMG research who are conducting the consultation, yeah, it does, mention, it, in, it does yeah. mention the council have to make cuts, so that, that would imply there is a financial motive somewhere in this if plan. We, if we want to spend all the money, we're talking about millions, spending millions on the new systems, you know, the new warden alarm systems, yeah. what we can't afford is full-time wardens just working in individual shelter blocks and not looking after the people outside Veronica, what and would you spend the millions on the scheme. Uh, that's not true. They do look after people outside. Um, well, what can I say? She does, um, she does allocations, lifelines, telecare community visits, um, out-of-hours, standbys. Um, you wouldn't get that, would you, would you Councillor, with a, a, a mat that tells you you've got up at 8 o'clock? Uh, no, I, I, agree, I agree with everything what's being said. The problem is we've got some shelter schemes without a warden. We've got some shelter schemes with a warden what do, what do nowhere near as much as a warden in Beckham Court. We've got some really good, in my own ward, we've got some really good wardens, and we've got a couple of shelter schemes without wardens. It's about the quality of, this mm. consultation is about the quality of service and now we give a better service. Veronica, are I, you... I, go on, Tom, I agree sorry. at the moment keeping wardens. Right. I, but that's my own personal view. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the view, it's not the decision of the council or anything, but I, I think keeping the wardens is the best way, mm. and we have to spend a couple of years getting the money together to do everything else as well. Veronica, do you, do, do you, Tom Shaw is, is saying that the, the ultimate um, uh, aim, whatever the decision is, is to make life better, safer and easier for, for people who are dependent on, on these sheltered housing and who actually aren't in the sheltered housing want to stay in their own homes. Does that, are you confident about that, Veronica? Does that, does that... No, I'm not confident about it at all. Um, because our warden has got to know us so well um, she can just look at us and say, you know, you don't look very well today. And we say, oh, yes, we're fine. And she'll say, oh, don't tell lies. I know you. And then we open up and tell her, you know, how we're feeling. Um, but, Veronica, there, 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 there might be some people who say, well, come on, fair play. It's not really the council's responsibility to provide someone who sounds, as well as having, a, you know, being a figure of authority... Your friends should be looking at you and saying, "Come on, there's something wrong." Or your family, the council shouldn't be providing and paying for that person, should they? Well, not everyone has family. Some people have no family at all, and and they rely on the the warden. I mean, I, I really don't know what the warden's role is officially, but um, they're all human beings, and and not one of them would um, want to see a resident in distress. So. Mm. Um, because they are human after all. Um, we know nothing has been set in stone, but we are afraid we'll lose our scheme managers. What, if you're not listening to, Veronica, how, how far are you prepared to go to, to fight this? Um, protest march. May I ask th- th- how old you are? I'm 72. Well, I'll be 72 on Monday. Oh, happy birthday for Monday. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Tom, listen, I know it's, it, you're in a slightly awkward position because you, you, you think the wardens should be, should be kept and this is all being discussed. But that's not great, is it, that we've got 72-year-olds and over who are prepared to go and do a protest march? We don't want that from our... No, no one wants that, but what we've got to do is we've got, you know, the future now is all the modern stuff what's on the market. We can spend 
£5 million on putting that into every shelter scheme in everyone's house who wants to stay at home. Uh, but to do that and keep the wardens costs us another couple of million pounds on top of that as well. But what is the point in spending all the money you're spending at the moment when you're supposed to be uh, making cuts and saving money? And this is the housing revenue account. It's completely separate from the rest of the council. That's why it's not about cuts. The housing account is paying for this, and he's paid. That's why we've got independent people in, because even the councillors and the officers have all got different views. That's why we've got the independent Tom, group in to find out what they, what people wanted. Tom, Veronica, stay there for a second. Peter is in Warmer Green. Peter, you, you live in sheltered housing. Have you yes. got a, a warden? Yes, indeed. And yes. How, how important is your warden to you? It is vital, really, because although they, they take wardens away from people, she's vital. We've got people here, who, uh, we've got a lady here who can't see very well. She helps her with all her, her letters and things. You're, when you're bereaved, she's She's there for you. When people, I mean, you've got to remember, sheltered houses rights. Where if someone dies, she's she finds them sometimes. So you're you're really talking about something in depth here. She she helps to organise a fish and chip, maybe lunch, which we pay for or run raffles for. But you've got a changing population, so you can't set up committees with elderly people. We've got people who are over ninety. And if you if you take people out of uh, if you take the people you phone up, by the way, I pay five hundred pound a year for this pool call system. They didn't, the council run it through the telephone system, so it can't cost very much to install. They Peter, do it through the, through the I know the phone. I know the phone system very, very well. But Peter, just for, just quickly, because we're running out of time, the warden is crucial to you. Is that what Absolutely you're saying? Absolutely crucial. To okay, Peter, we, we have to. The, Tom, listen. It, it, the, the people are very passionate about this, and obviously, the, oh, they are, yeah, yeah uh, rightly so. How can people get in, involved in this discussion? What, what, what's well, happening well, next? The gentleman. Uh, well, what's happening at the moment? An independent group of people, rather than the council officers or councillors, are doing it. Are going around all the sheltered schemes. They'll collate all the information over the next few weeks. That'll come to councils, and before any decisions are made, we've made a promise that we will go back to all the shelter schemes and tell them what the recommendations of the independent group are. And no action will be taken until we've gone back to every shelter scheme. And if everybody in the shelter scheme disagrees... Uh, that, and that's what's happening on some shelter schemes as well. Mm. Some are saying we want the ward, and some are saying we want the modern stuff. Mm. Uh, then it's going to be a very hard decision that members are going to have to make sometime in April. Veronica, let's give the final word to you. What, what would you say to, to the council about this? I would say let us keep our wardens. They are vital to our future. Veronica Gudgeon, thank you very much. And uh, Councillor Tom Shaw, the housing portfolio holder for Luton. Thank you. I like Tom. I like Tom because he's a councillor who comes on and he's honest. You, do, you don't get any of the flim-flam that you get with some of the other councillors. He comes on, he, he admits when he makes a mistake... And he admits when he disagrees with the policies that are b- being pushed through, and he, you, you, you kind of get straight talk. You may not always agree with what he's saying, but he gives it to you straight. And, uh, Veronica, thank you very much. I think you, you, you painted, uh, uh, Veronica and Peter, you painted a very powerful picture of just how important these wardens are to you. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, uh, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. You've got a TV in your bedroom. Your relationship is, uh, is in trouble. If you don't argue about that, what do you argue about with your partner in bed? There's a top ten list in the Express today. Number ten is allowing children or a pet 
to share the bed. And we kind of had those arguments. That we have some nights we'll have the two boys and the cat on the bed. Five, five in the bed. It, it, it's cramped. It's cramped. But I kind of I don't mind. It's quite nice. Although, you, you know, you see the picture of kids in the bed with their parents. You'll get this, producer Laura, if you, when you have kids. The picture of, you, you see of parents, like the Athena posters. It's like a parent lying in the bed, snuggled up to their little boy or their little girl, and then the, the mum. So it just doesn't happen at all. Never happens like that. Because you'll be lying with, with your head at the top of the bed, and the feet at the bottom of the bed. The kid will be lying crossways. They lie, cro- they lie horizontal. They, they start off, you know, properly, but then they just, they just turn around. It's a nightmare. And then when you get kicked in the head, when you're getting woken up by being kicked in the head, that's when you think, ah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't uh, have gone down this road. But never mind, it is the best, the, the most fun you could have. Now, have you heard about plans for the Riverside North development? No idea why I was talking about that. Uh, in Bedford. Well, the Start Rowing Club is unhappy about them because they say the club can't expand. Have you got sympathy for them? We'll be talking to uh, some people involved in that next. And also, Scotland Yard has announced uh, that it's looking into whether criminal activity has taken place in relation to recent allegations regarding Lord Renard. We'll look at what impact it's having on the Liberal Democrats here in the three counties. Now, the Star Rowing Club in Bedford says it will be unable to progress or expand if plans to build a hotel next to their boathouse are agreed. The proposed hotel is part of the Riverside North development and will see Bedford Town Hall knocked down and a nine-storey hotel erected in its place. But the club say the plan would mean their members wouldn't have anywhere to park their cars and the club itself will be prevented from expanding and becoming more successful. Well, we've got uh, President-elect of Star Rowing Club, David Dixon, and the Director of de- Development Company, Copland Estates, Colin McQuestion, are with me now to discuss this further. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Colin, we'll Good come morning. to you in a second. David, let me start with you. Why do you object to the hotel build? How, how will it affect you? Well, the, um, to, to start with, Star Club is uh, an immensely successful organisation, as is our co-tenants, uh, Viking K- Kayak Club. Um, we... Uh, we, we're next um, to the hotel development, which uh, in the first consultation uh, left a bit of green space between the development and the boat club. Uh, in the latest consultation, that boundary has moved uh, to come right up to our boundary. Now, the um, piece of land that was between us and the development uh, was being earmarked for expansion for both the kayak club and, and the boat club. Well, you, you, the, the boat club's been that size for 15 years. Why do you no, need them more? It's been there longer than that. Well, well it, it, OK, the boat club's been that size for even longer than 15 years. Why yeah. do you need more room? Well, uh, because people want to join us. Our, our membership ranges from uh, 14-year-old kids to a 77-year-old. How many uh, members it, have you got? Uh, over 200. OK. Uh, uh, Colin, if you build this hotel on, on the, the Town Hall Star, the, the Star Club won't have I- enough room to expand. It d- doesn't seem fair, does it? Um, I don't think it's quite as straightforward as that. These things never are. I mean, to deal with the green space issue, um, the Star Rowing Club came to our first um, consultation and one of the um, comments they made was lack of car parking we were reproviding, so we've increased that, and I suspect the green space has been converted into more car parking, which is something they requested. Um, the, the hotel is, is close to the Star Rowing Club, but there is a, a buffer in between the hotel and, indeed, the Star Rowing Club that has to be protected. 
to allow for the future expansion of or, or delivery of the Batsford Bridge. So uh, I really can't see how the provision of this hotel is is going to affect the expansion of the Star Rowing Club. David? Well, the, um, the, the piece of land that uh, I'm referring to was um, initially um, uh, unused land and the council reclaimed it 28 years ago when the boathouse was built. There is still space between uh, the boathouse and uh, the proposed new bridge that uh, uh, would enable us to build a, a new boat shed and canoe shed. I'm sorry, but Colin, here, and I, I, I don't think anybody has ever in all our discussions um, stood in the way of that to happen, and I understand the rowing club is indeed meeting the mayor on the, on, on the 6th, and uh, no doubt we can look at those proposals. So I don't think the provision of a hotel stops the rowing club expanding. I think there is plenty of land adjacent to it, and we're quite happy to sit down and, and have a look at David, that. wouldn't it be nice having a hotel near the rowing club? You'd get more passing trade, more people coming to have a look around. You might get more members out of it. It could be good for business, couldn't it? Well, there, there are two things on that. One, one is the aesthetic quality of the hotel, which um, uh, is a matter of personal opinion. Personally, I think it's a very ugly building, which um, will um, just match the other ugly hotel on the other side of the town bridge. But uh, putting that aside from the club's point of view, the hotel um, will block our downstream view of the river, which is a bit of a shame if, um, if you're a boathouse. Colin, your hotel's ugly. Um, yes, I mean, design is, is, has been an issue, and, and um, it's a very important site, and everybody has, has had um, lots of different views, which is healthy. I would not describe it as ugly, and I think comparison to the other hotel and some of the other buildings within Bedford is slightly disingenuous, and uh, it, is a, it is a very modern, sleek, and, and reflective building. And, but, you know, architecture is a... Is a personal um, um, thing, and I, I, I don't think Colin, people I, like it, some people don't. It's a bit like Marmite. I'm assuming this, and I love Marmite, I'm assuming this hotel is, is going to bring jobs into the area, Colin, is that correct? Well, it, the scheme is not just a hotel, there's cinema, there's restaurants, there's a microbrewery coming in, I mean, the whole, whole scheme, when finished, will create 250 jobs, it'll bring circa 500,000 people into the town, which is, I think, a very good thing for not only the Star Rowing Club, one would hope, but also the rest of the businesses within Bedford Town Centre. David, that's got to be good. You, you, you can't really argue that the, the, the view uh, that's being potentially ruined for 200 people is worth more than, than that many jobs and, and, and that much business for Bedford, can you? Oh, let me make this quite clear. I support um, a development of that site. Uh, it's uh, a very important site and will be good for Bedford and good for jobs. Uh, why would I uh, ob object to that? What I object to is the, the threat to um, our, our viability as a rowing club. And we are one of the most successful clubs in the country. The Boathouse is, is the spiritual home of two Olympic champions. Colin, how would you respond to that? Uh, I am certainly not looking to threaten the existence... It, it may not be a deliberate threat, but, 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 Colin, but David... None of what we put forward is, is any way intended to do that. Well, Colin, Colin, it may not be a, a, an intended threat, and of course I'm sure it isn't, but David p uh, perceives it as a, 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 as a threat. Is there anything you can say um, to, to, to put him at ease? Well, well, well all I can say, and I, I will just keep on saying this, and I've said this all along, is that if, if the Star Rowing Club need to and wish to expand, that's not 
difficult. I've been down there, I've walked around the facility, I've enjoyed a very good star rowing club supper. I, I've understand the cramped conditions in which um, they, they, that they are operating, and I think that's testimony to the success of them. To, to, to get additional space is not difficult. And it, you know, the, the new hotel and additional space can be provided. It doesn't need to be an either-or situation. So I think, you know, if he would like to sit down again with us, we're, we're more than happy, and with the council who do own the land, um, more than happy to, to continue the dialogue. David, would you, would you be up for meeting with Colin and having a chat and, and, and seeing, you know, if, if any compromise could be reached? Well, I, I met Colin um, before. and Would, uh, would you meet him again? And, and I would be very happy to meet him again. The reason I wish to meet the mayor is to express our concerns not to object to a development as such uh, and if i could meet the mayor and colin then that would be a, a good outcome gentlemen i'll tell you what we're going to do is i'm going to pass you back to my team we will see if we can w- without getting too involved because obviously we have to be vaguely impartial here uh, we g- we'll see if we can facilitate some meeting between you and the mayor and, and just see if, if if this could i want you both to be happy you both sound like nice chaps <laughs> we are nice chaps. I'm sure you're both wonderful. I want you to... Listen, stay on the line. I'm going to pass you back to uh, producer Laura and work experience Ollie. David Dixon there from uh, the uh, the rowing club, the uh, star club, and uh, Colin McQuestion from um, the uh, company Co- Copland Estates. Let's see if we can facilitate a meeting between those two gentlemen, please. Let's see if we can get them to go out for a lunch somewhere. I'm not paying. Or a coffee. See, we'll invite them there. Let's see if we can make some progress on this. Wouldn't it be nice if we could... I don't want people... Listen, I do like a good argument first thing in the morning, but they both seem like such reasonable gentlemen. And I... I can see both sides of the argument. What do you think? Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Part of me thinks... Listen, a building and redevelopment, a nice hotel by the river, sounds fantastic. It's going to spoil the view for 200 people. Kind of get over it. But then part of me thinks... That's what makes the waterways of Britain so great, is these, these, these rowing clubs. You walk down the Thames through Windsor, these, these gorgeous rowing clubs. You walk through all the, all the rivers, through the three counties. These wonderful little rowing clubs that are dotted about, they kind of make things a bit special, don't they? 08459 455 555. You've got a TV in your bedroom, there's something wrong with the relationship. Uh, Carol says, uh, Ian, people who argue in bed, and I assume you're one of them, by your earlier question, have relationship problems. Oh, this is what you argue about. If you store up problems for the end of the day and don't deal with them as they happen, then you're not communicating properly. We never argue in bed because we talk over problems before they become an argument. Might sound cheesy, but it's true. Uh, All right, Carol. Carol, Carol. I never trust anybody who says they never argue. Of course you need to argue. Of course you need to argue. I'm not saying having full out, you know, throwing the crockery at each other, slamming the door, I'm never coming back arguments but you need to argue otherwise there's something wrong alison says uh, on facebook the fella and i have known each other for seven years live together for five we have a tv pc mixing desks equalizers plus other gadgetry hmm, in the bedroom we've had one argument in our entire relationship which was shortly after an amazing friend was killed and we put that down to our grief we run an internet radio show twice a week from our bedroom and our mates come over sit on the bed and chew the fat for a couple of hours this maybe wouldn't suit everyone but it works for us really i'm i'm not convinced by that in the slightest wendy hurrell the weather lady We'll speak to Wendy. She, she agrees with me on TVs in the bedroom. We'll speak to her in a little bit, shall we, and find out exactly what uh, her opinion is. And we've got, look, we've got a mysterious text here on the M1. Good morning, Ian. OK, this is a question for you, dear listener, so listen and, and, and pay attention. Can you ask everyone 
why nobody uses the M1 hard shoulder when it says on the Matrix signs, congestion, use hard shoulder. Thanks, Tim. I, I can tell you why, Tim, because people are idiots. It's the same people who don't realise that most of the bus lanes you can drive in at certain times of the day. There's a bus lane near where I used to live. It stopped being a bus lane at 10am. So one minute past 10, I'd zoom straight up there. I'd be getting beeped, flashed. Someone in, raised their middle finger at me. Horrible Americanism. If you're going to swear using your hands, do, do the two-fingered salute, for goodness sakes. Come on, let's keep it British. It's because people, Tim, don't know... They don't read the signs. They assume everything. Read the signs. 08459 455 555. Have you been using the hard shoulder on the M1? Or did you not realise that you could for parts of it? Where, where the Matrix sign says, congestion, use hard shoulder. Wendy, TVs in bedrooms. If you've got them, they, they're the start of the problem in your relationship. Yeah, well, I, I did tweet you just now because I think that's a fair point. When I moved in with my dear man, I noticed that he had a television sticking out of the wall in oh. the bedroom. I know, huge, great thing. And I just thought, no, if nothing else, it's a, it's a place just to relax and be calm, read a book maybe, you know, snuggle up. You don't want a television staring at you. So hang on, you, you, you moved into his house and you said, mm. that's going. I took the television off wow. the wall. That's a, and and plugged I, in the holes and painted the walls. And how did he react? Well, grisly at first, <laughs> but <laughs> he got over it. <laughs> Wendy Harrell, thank you very much. Yo. So Tim texted him, 81333, starting his text 3CR. And well done, Tim, you've included your name. Can you ask everyone why, no why nobody uses the M1 hard shoulder when it says on the Matrix signs, congestion, use hard shoulder? I've noticed this. Adam's on the M1. Adam, have you noticed this? Yes, I have, Ian, yeah. Um, and it's quite good that no one uses it because it allows me to use it, so I don't mind. So just, just remind people where exactly this section of the hard shoulder is. Um, well, I'm, I travel from Northampton down to uh, Potter's Bar every day, so it's... Uh, from about Junction 13, M1, going southbound down to uh, Junction 6, getting onto the M25. So it's quite a long stretch, this, this hard shoulder. And so no one uses it? And so what, it, it, it's like your own private Adam Road? Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, actually. Some mornings it's, it's great. It, it is like my own private section of road. Certainly going home in the evening, it's, uh, it, it's amazing. You've got you know, two lorries, they're overtaking each other, and you've got an empty inside... Our uh, shoulder lines, so it's, it's quite hilarious. Why do... Uh, Adam, you've got one of my bugbears there. Why do lorries insist on doing that ridiculous kind of leapfrogging thing where, where one goes a bit faster because they're going downhill, so he overtakes, and when it goes uphill, the other one's going faster, so he, he overtakes? Why do they do that? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Maybe something to do with education. I'm, I'm really not sure, but uh, it is quite frustrating because if you notice when lorries aren't on the road on... On certain days of the week, the, the traffic actually flows quite well, but uh, I certainly think they should use the hard shoulder. And if they did, it would, it would flow a lot better. Adam, thank you very much indeed. So two things there. By the way, that was Adam that said it could be the lack of lorry driver's education. I did not in any way say that or endorse that. Adam was his name, and we'll happily give out his phone number to any lorry drivers who wish to uh, to tear him apart. 08459 555. I've noticed that. The, the, the bit of the M1 where you can use the hard shoulder... No one does. It's because people don't read signs. Or if they do, they don't understand signs. And lorry drivers, why do you insist on doing that leapfrogging thing? I had this the other day. Okay, my new thing is driving at 60 miles an hour on the motorway. I'm allowed to. Saves me a fortune in petrol. Just leave 10 minutes earlier. Wonderful. I save about, I don't know, 
15 quid a week? It's not bad going. 20 quid a week? That'll do me. So I was going 60 miles an hour the other day on... Uh, I was coming back from Gloucester on the M4. And this lorry... Was, we're going downhill, OK? So this lorry had obviously picked up a bit of speed. He wanted to overtake me. For, for about a few miles, he was fine going behind me. Then he wanted to overtake me. So he overtook me. We're going downhill. He pulls up beside me. Oh, and then we start going uphill, right? And then he starts beeping me for me to slow down to let him in. No. I'm doing 60 miles an hour. I've constantly been doing 60 miles an hour. I'm not slowing down for you. I'm not doing that. Why do you do that, lorry drivers? Oh, wait, I'm not having a go at lorry drivers. Well, I guess I am, actually. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now, Scotland Yard has announced it's looking into whether criminal activity has taken place in relation to recent allegations regarding Lord Renard. The Liberal Democrats say they are working closely with the Metropolitan Police on this. He's been accused of inappropriate behaviour towards women, something he strongly denies. Well, BBC Three Counties has spoken to a woman from our area, known only as Susan, who was at a conference for prospective MPs in 2008, where Lord Reynard was in attendance. In the evening, she was with him and a group of other activists, and was sat next to him chatting about politics. Susan picks up the story. So I was sat there, and um, the first thing I noticed was this leg quite firmly against my leg, and I thought, oh, you're imagining it. And I moved away slightly, um, and then he started stroking my leg, um, and I moved away again. And it was coming towards the end of the evening anyway, um, and people were beginning to drift off to bed. As soon as a chair became free next to me, um, I moved to that chair, which happened to be a sofa, um, so that there was a chair in between us. Um, He then at the first opportune moment, moved into that chair and carried on stroking my leg. I mean, I don't know how else I could have sent a clearer signal to say no, other than say, stop that. But this is is someone who you almost worshipped um, because he is an amazing election strategist and he has done amazing things for our party. But there he was, fondling my leg and me feeling very uncomfortable. I think I moved five times in total to get away from him. And at that point, I just kind of wound down the conversation and said I was off to bed. Um, and he said, oh, well, I'll come, I'll come up with you. Um, and I said, no, 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 it's fine, I need to go to the toilet. So I went off to the toilet, I took a deep breath in there and walked back out and couldn't believe it when he was standing there waiting at the bottom of the stairs to walk me up. We got to the top of the flight of stairs and he said, well, it's been a really fascinating conversation. Why don't we get a couple more drinks and we continue to discuss this in my room? And he kind of rubbed the back of my back um, suggestively. Um, And at that point, just alarm bells started ringing really, really loudly and I just said, no, no, I'm off to bed, I'm really tired and walked briskly to my room. Um, and as soon as I got my room, I, I was so distressed, I called my dad. Well, the BBC did ask to speak to Lord Renard, who we were told was not giving interviews. We were told by Lib Dem HQ that no one would be available for an interview and that the independent inquiry they had set up was the proper place for the allegations to be considered. Well, someone who will speak to us is Dor- Dorothy Thornhill, the most senior Lib Dem in our area, as Mayor of Watford. Morning, Dor- Dorothy. This story has been very hard for the Lib Dems. How has the party handled it? Um, I think that, um, you know, um, all negative stories about politicians or politics, you know, impacts in some way. And I think, um, you know, parties do find it um, 
you know difficult to handle um i don't actually really want to comment um on on the specifics because no, of you, right, you rightly say um you know it is difficult to say what is the right way to handle this yes um and i think you know that that that's a, fa a fair comment and i really don't want to add um to the rumor of gossip but i will say listening to susan's interview yesterday uh, and again um that i think actually many women uh, will have found themselves uh, in similar positions to that not just in politics, but as part of their life, whether it's as a, a teenager on the back seat of the cinema dealing with the wandering hands or the inappropriate, um, you know, people b bunching up against you in the tube. Um, you know, there are many instances of what you might call sexual harassment um, that many women listening to this will be quite, quite familiar with. Uh, uh, just to clarify, and we, I don't want to talk about the specifics of this, and obviously we can't, but Lord Renard does deny all of these allegations. Is it something that you've come across, Dorothy, w working in, in politics and, and your, in your mayoral position? Have you ever encountered anything like this? Um, in politics, no, but in real life, yes. And mm. that's why I say, you know, it isn't just about politics. Um, it is about how women are perceived and treated, and I think you know that's that's very much you know just a part of our uh, of our culture. And there are some people for whom an incident like that would have just been deal with it, sort it out. Um, and to other people, quite rightly, it's it's upsetting and even traumatising. And yet, ostensibly, it's the same incident. Um, so you know, I think this this is. You know, it's a part of life rather than a, a, a part of, of politics. Do you think this will have a, a, a negative impact on the Lib Dems in the long run? Um, I think all of these stories, are, they, it's not about the individual parties because it's the Lib Dems this week. It will be another party next week. Political scandals have been around as long as there have been um, politicians and that's no exception for it. Um, but I think, much more importantly, um, it contributes to a growing cynicism about politics, um, which I believe is damaging to democracy as a whole. Dorothy, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Dorothy Thornhill is the Mayor of Watford. And of course, uh, just to reiterate, Lord Renard denies um, all allegations of any wrongdoing whatsoever. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. We're talking about why no one is using the hard shoulder of the M1. The bit you're allowed to use, obviously. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Oh, 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 don't go. I've got a request. A Twitter request for you, Catherine Boyle. Oh, dear. No, it's not that. Um, <laughs> Scott has uh, tweeted me saying, I love the way Catherine Boyle says Scunthorpe. Love it. Could she do it for me now, please? Well, this one's just for you, Scott. Scunthorpe. Always happy to please. It's the BBC. This is what we do. You pay our wages. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's just gone eight o'clock. Jonathan Vernon Smith will be on at nine. He'll probably pop in in about 14 minutes or so to tell us what's happening on his show this morning. But between now and nine, lots coming up, including. Court interpreters are thinking of giving up working because they are so poorly paid. A top barrister says it's because a government plan to make savings hasn't worked. Well, I'll be speaking to an interpreter from Milton Keynes about the effect the changes are having on him. Tim texted earlier. He said, can you ask everyone who listens why nobody uses the M1 hard shoulder when it says on the Matrix signs, congestion, use hard shoulder? Well, have you noticed the same thing on the motorway? Are people stupid? And the top ten reasons why people argue in bed have been revealed. Among them is having a TV in your bedroom. 
I'm not surprised. It's it's a sign of a failing relationship, isn't it? Television? In your bedroom? No, 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 no. What do you think? 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR, or facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Government savings to interpretation services provided in law courts have been branded a con on the taxpayer and a con on the victims of crime. Well, that's the view of the chair of the Criminal Bar Association, Michael Turner QC, who says that far from making savings, it means more expense in the long run. I spoke to him earlier in the show. There are no cutbacks at all, that's the problem. This government and indeed the last have been obsessed by outsourcing publicly funded work. Um, The problem with the present interpreter services, which was started off by Applied Language Solutions and is now Capita, um, is that they they don't supply often interpreted services. Um, Interpreters don't turn up. When they do turn up, they don't speak the right language or they don't speak English. It it costs, at a very conservative estimate, £110 a minute to run a courtroom with a jury. Uh, And so you imagine if an interpreter doesn't turn up for half a day, for an hour, uh, what the on cost of that really is for the taxpayer. And that's what's happening. Michael, sorry, did you say that some of these interpreters don't speak English? They often don't speak the language of the defendant. Yeah. Or if they do, they can't speak English. So we can't (laughs) understand them. So they're not an interpreter, they're just a foreign person. (laughs) That's all they are, that's not an interpreter. Well, since interpretation services were outsourced in a contract worth £90 million, translators, including some in Milton Keynes, say they may have to give it up uh, as it is no longer worth their while. Ahmed Mahmood is a translator from Milton Keynes. Morning, Ahmed. Morning, sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. When did you train to become a court translator? In 2007, at the Manfone University. And what attracted you to it? Uh, I was... I was a community worker, first of all, working for Milton Keynes Community Language Services. And then, for the high demand, Milton Keynes Community Language Services applied this course for me, which diploma in public service interpreting to, to advance my education and to help the community. And so what language or languages do you translate? I prov- I, my native language is Somali, and I speak... English and Arabic is my second language, but I can't do that in interpreting and translating, but I can only do Somali. Okay. Why are you now thinking of, of giving it up, Ahmed? Because since 2011 till now, the, the government outsources the, the industry to applied, uh, so, applied language solutions, which now Kavita, and they are using untrained interpreters and translations to minimise the cost. So there is no room for me now. So you're not even being offered the work. They're getting people who, in your opinion, haven't been trained as court interpreters to save a few pounds. I lost 70% of my work 2011 and this year now we are... I didn't get any call in 2013. So... 
that means I don't have any job. I have to look another job now. And have you spoken? I don't know if if, if court interpreters meet up in Costa after a, a, a big session. Have you spoken to other interpreters? Are they feeling the pinch as well? Yeah, I'm a member of Institute of Linguist, which is a large body that all the interpret uh, provisional interpreters part of it. So, yeah, there is a big meetings and big blow going on to 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 look into the matter, but. As a as an interpreter who is busy with his daily life, it will be very difficult for me to think about that. I have to think about changing my career to another career so I can put bread uh, on my plate. I mean, there are some people who might say um, it's, it's very unfortunate your situation, but the government is just trying to save the taxpayer money. What, what would you say to that? I, I could understand the that that climate situation of economic term all that we are but that's unfortunate too because interpreters as an interpreter my services are needed in courts and in hospitals and the people that use my services are the people who need my services that means they are in a difficult situation uh for example if I am interpreting in a hospital. I am dealing with a patient who needs my services. So if that patient is being wrongly interpreted for whatever he or she says, it will be difficult for his or her life. So it's saving lives here. It's not about it's not about saving money, it's about saving lives. Ahmed, I appreciate the time. Ahmed Mahmoud, a translator from Milton Keynes. And it's true, isn't it? In hospitals, it's, it's life and death. In courts... It can be prison or not prison. Is it really worth trying to save a few quid and, and, and cutting a few corners? The Justice Minister, Helen Grant, has said there were significant issues at the start of the contract in early 2012, um, but the changes we have made have led to major savings for taxpayers, totalling £15 million in the first year, and we continue to monitor the contract on a daily basis and demand continuing progress. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh! Oh, I've a really good stretch. My back, my back is, is a bit stiff. It has been a bit stiff. I need a good click. I need someone to walk on my back or someone to do that thing. You know when you, they, you, you fold your arms and they pick you up from behind and kind of click your back. I need that. Oh, dear me. Hey, the top ten reasons why people argue in bed have been revealed. One of them is to do with having a telly in your bedroom. I think, genuinely, if you've got a TV in your bedroom and you've got a partner, your relationship is is in trouble. It's falling apart. Well, our reporter, Justin Daly, on the other hand, says, and uh, and I'm going to quote you here, Justin. Yeah, (laughs) go on. Yeah, well, girl, the bedroom is for entertainment. Sometimes that's a... (laughs) Can't do it. (coughs) Right, hang on. The bedroom is for entertainment. Sometimes that's telly. Sometimes it's something else. Something completely different. Yes. Yes. You're a big fan of the TV in the bedroom. Absolutely love it, I have to say. It certainly makes me relax it in the evening. I've always been a big fan of it. I lost it for about two or three months when I moved properties. Uh, Then I got Sky installed. And it made me very, very happy. Justin, Justin, Justin. 
Turn yeah. off the TV, put a blanket over it, turn to your beautiful <laughs> girlfriend and talk to her. Maybe give yes. her a back rub. Maybe gently yeah. whisper something in her ear, something a little bit naughty. <laughs> Do that! Don't watch oh. Blooming Jeremy Kyle on ITV2. You should work on one of those um, dodgy numbers, yeah, the, the 0891 numbers. Yes, <laughs> give her a scrub and make her feel good about yourself. <laughs> I wonder what he was going to say then. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've, uh, you've, you've been speaking to people about this nonsense, have you? Y- y- yes, I have. I mean, the, the, this morning I spoke to a couple of people. They agree, Most people they do- agree with me, don't they? No, of course they oh. don't. A few, a few moments moments ago, I, I was talking to Angela in Bedford, and this is what happened. Angela, televisions in the bedroom causes relationship problems. Is that true, do you think? I wouldn't agree with that, no. It saves you having to think of conversation all the time. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> is it really that bad in your relationship? No, you need a TV? No, there's some quite good stuff on telly. Yeah? Yeah. So you, you sit there with your partner watching TV at night and you quite enjoy it? Yep, absolutely. Yeah? What are your yeah. favourite TV shows? I'm being very nosy now. Uh, I like reality shows, yeah. soaps. So you're sitting in TV watching I'm a Celebrity, X Factor, those sort of programmes? Yeah, absolutely. So anybody who says, you know, having a TV in your bedroom will cause a problem, you're saying is absolute nonsense. Come on, you need to get one in your, in your bedroom because it will actually improve your relationship. Obviously not watching the right stuff. <laughs> Or listen to the radio. <laughs> we like you. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Bye. So, Ian, there you go. The, the views oh there are Angela. And I've got to tell you that somebody's walked up to the radio car. This is Sandra. Sandra, welcome to the programme. You're live across Bed Starts and Bucks. Do you have a TV in your bedroom? I do. Now, does that cause a relationship problem? No, it doesn't. No? So, you quite enjoy sitting there watching TV at night. Would you say it improves your relationship? Um, I suppose it does, because we share the programmes instead of uh, one going upstairs and one going downstairs. Well, so, thank uh, you again. Yeah. So, two great views. Thank you very much. Take care. You're welcome. Have a good don't, day no, there. No, there no, you no, listen, you, you're, supposed to, you're the BBC. You're supposed to be impartial. Mm, don't mm. say two great views just because <laughs> they agree with you. You can't do that. <laughs> the thing is that they all agree with me, Ian. They all think you're talking nonsense. You know, it's a regular uh, thing on the programme. But they all think you're talking nonsense. That's for that first woman you spoke to, though, Justin, her reason yeah. was, oh, yeah, it's great because it stops you having to think of conversation. Yeah. Oh, dear. I know. I know. When she said that, I did think, oh dear. I think if you've got a TV in your bedroom, uh, like Sandra was saying there, if you're sharing programmes together that, that you clearly enjoy, what's the problem? But if you have got a television in your bedroom because it's something to talk about, well, there, there might be a slight problem there. I've just, re- re- I've just, re- we haven't got a TV in our bedroom, but I've just realised and remembered what my wife does. She watches Sky News on her phone. In, in bed. News. She watches the news on the phone in the bed. I've just read it. So we, we have got a TV in our room, and it's my missus that's done it. Uh, you see, that's why you're having problems. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't... You, that that was actually private, Justin. Thanks yeah, sorry. Anyway, sorry. where are you... Moving on swiftly. I don't think anyone noticed. We'll cut that bit no, out. Where no, are you off to no. next? Well, I'm in Bedford. I'm at the, uh, the Star Rowing Club this morning. Ah, um, yes. You, you've already spoken about this earlier on. We're covering it in news, of course. Now, the club here, they're not happy about the Riverside North development. I'm here on the river. It looks absolutely beautiful. The club here is saying that... The hotel that is going to be built is going to look ugly and also i'm in their car park uh, they are going to lose their car parking spaces these people here are absolutely furious so uh, they turned up this morning they surrounded the radio car they have maps they're very very angry and they're going to be live on the radio just after 8 30 they've got maps yes they come down with maps and they're saying look look are you telling me that looks good i said well, it's not for me to answer that question they're clearly not happy about this development at all and uh, oh, we'll hear more about this oh, news a bit later now he starts being impartial now there's an angry mob out there he starts being impartial justin we'll speak to you later on thank you very much indeed the chats we're having now yeah they're like proper friend chats 
Right. Stop it! No. Excuse <laughs> 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 we're having, we are having that proper. Fr- yeah. You're admiring my digital watch. Well, I used to have uh, the same digital watch when I was a young boy. It's a calculator watch, mm. and it's the same, probably the same make. It's the Casio calculator watch. I used to dream of this when I was about eight or nine. I used to dream of having one of these watches, and they were always just too expensive. I think they were six ninety nine from Argos, weren't they? Whoa! What? My parents told me they were fifty quid. No, nice. I think they were six ninety nine. You had the cheaper one, the cheaper yep. little Casio yep. digital watch. That was three ninety nine for that had off. nothing. Yeah, that had told the time. Yeah, and then I think that one was six ninety nine, wasn't oh. it? Well, I, I, it was eleven ninety nine when I bought this one. Really? Yeah, I thought well, inflation. I'm, there's been a lot of inflation. Now I'm a successful radio host. Well, it used to be. Splash out. <laughs> I splashed out on a watch. Why not? Yeah, because I've gone nuts. And the thing is, this is the third one, because I keep losing them. Oh, no. So I just buy another one. I don't care. Well, that's eleven ninety nine. I mean... It's a bargain. Exactly. Now, listen, you heard me um, complaining that yes. my back... It's very, very stiff. Would you like me to, uh, to crack it? C- do you know how to do it? Yes, I do. I- I'm not trained. Really? I'm not a trained osteopath, uh-huh. and I can't take... I don't have any public liability insurance or anything like that, so should I render you incapacitated, <laughs> then Again, I yes. take no responsibility. Wh- which technique are you going to employ on me? Well, I can do one of two. I can either pick you up and yank you, or I can get you on the floor and apply severe pressure to your back. Which one do you prefer? I've, m- maybe the... Well, you're very tall, so I'm just worried I might not be able to pick you up. Should we get on the floor? <laughs> you do it now. You want to do it now? Yes, yes, yes. Do it now. <laughs> Sorry. Right, OK. Uh, this probably won't make great radio. Do I just lie on my stomach? Yes, now lie nice and flat. Yes. OK. OK. Now, I'm just going to straddle you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pull my trousers up. I don't need to see my buttocks. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, okay. what we're going to do, we're yes. going to start at the bottom. Yes. And I want... <laughs> Yes. Oh, a deep breath in, okay. in and out, and in and out. Oh, there it goes, there goes. And in and out. Oh. And, and in and out. Deeper out, deeper out, deeper out. Oh. There we go, oh. we got him. Oh. Oh. Yeah, there we go. This feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> why, why are you putting like a builder's voice now? <laughs> right, guys, it feels good, doesn't it? It's satisfying to do. Look at your face, it's all aglow. You've I, come alive. I really like doing that. You like helping people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like helping people. I just like cracking your back. Oh, that feels fantastic. That feel good, That yeah? feels wonderful. If this radio malarkey dries up, you just watch me. I'll oh. have my own clinic. Listen, I know that we often, we go out and about and we do a little, um, sh- we're forced to do, I mean, we, we volunteer to go and do shows out and about on location. Yes. Your next one, should you just, just be in the high street, Luton High Street, cracking people's backs. Imagine that <laughs> like the listeners come up to you, you crack their, <laughs> they sign a waiver just in case, you crack their backs. It's gold. Does it feel better now? Oh, it Does feels, it feel, yeah. I can wiggle like this, look. Look at that, you see. Wiggle. You had it. quite a lot of cracks up at the top. Yeah. I don't know why. I've got, I've got a, uh, I, I, I do need to have a big crack down by my bottom. <laughs> I'm not being, I'm not, that's not an innuendo. That isn't an innuendo. I don't know how to do the very bottom. You don't, yeah. There, there's, I think I you've probably feel. got to be a real expert. Yes. You might need traction. 
What's coming up on your show this morning? On the big phone in this morning at nine, would you ban smoking in cars? The health minister, Anna Subri, says the government should ban smoking in cars carrying children. Uh, Ms Subri says the government should consider the move to protect youngsters. David Cameron has previously said while he supports the smoking ban in public places, he's more nervous about legislating what people do inside a private vehicle. Well, from nine, I want to hear your views on this. Uh, smoking in cars, it's one of the few places you can still smoke. Yeah. But should you be allowed to? I mean, have you ever bought a car that was owned by a smoker? Yes. Stinky. It's disgusting. Stinky. And you know what happens? You turn up at the dealership and they say, um, yeah, and you say, why are the windows open? And they say, well, yes, the previous owner was a smoker. Don't worry, it will be fully valeted yeah. before you get it. Doesn't you get rid of it. What? You'd need ten tankfuls of Febreze to get rid of it. And even then you'd still get the faint waft when you turn the heating on. I like the little, little um, Christmas tree hanging from the... Yeah, don't get rid of it. No. Once someone's smoked in a car, that's no. it. And if it's done that to the inside of the car, imagine no. what it's done to the children's lungs, yep. the passenger's lungs, anyone who's been in that car with that individual. Mm. And is it dangerous? I mean, I used to smoke. Did you? I used to smoke, yeah. Did you really? I smoke 40 a day. Yeah, it surprises me. Really? Wow. Yes, it does a lot. It's incredible. And uh, one of the, the worst things that used to happen to me, I'd be smoking... And the little bit that's a lit, that's a light did on the Did you have end. a cigarette filter, like one of those I did, ha- I did have a holder for a period, yeah. <laughs> and the, uh, the little bit that was lit, that oh. I smoked a pipe as well for a while, the little bit that, that, uh, that was lit, you used to call it the cherry. <laughs> You're so common! The, uh, the, the cherry used to fall out and go between my legs. And you'd be sh- driving, trying to put it, trying to f- flick it off, yeah. or you'd drop the cigarette. I'm, I'm being urged on by producer Laura, because we have got a guest coming up, it's but I'm, I'm keen to, stay, to stick with this. My dad used to roll roll-ups while he was driving at the same time. Uh, anyway, so that's, that's on your show this would morning. Would you ban smoking cars? We'll discuss it at nine. Thank you very much indeed, uh, the, the Jonathan Vernon-Smith. You've shocked me there. Collect, we'll come to you shortly. We've got a guest lined up, and we will speak to her very quickly, but elderly people living in council-run sheltered accommodation in Luton could lose their living wardens under new proposals. Well, Lorna Hankin met some worried residents at a sheltered accommodation in Bethune Close where they have a live-in scheme manager called Jenny. It's a wonderful complex. We all look after each other, very friendly, and it was our scheme manager who made us that way because she encouraged us to get together and communicate with one another. So if it wasn't for her, we probably wouldn't be as close as we are. She's there if we've got a problem. It can be a personal problem because obviously we've got to know her so well. We feel that we can trust her. And that's the only reason I moved in here, because you feel safe when there's a warden on site. Otherwise, I wouldn't have moved in here. I could have moved to any flat. It's security more than anything, because you know there's somebody there that you can call on. If you do have a problem, you can always talk to her. They've actually implied a firm of consultants to conduct this consultation with us. And basically what they want to do is make changes to take away permanent resident warden. So you'd have a roving warden who would be covering, say, four or five different uh, sheltered schemes rather than being resident in her own scheme. She goes the extra mile. The residents here are paying for this. She's just a special person, you know. So when you move in, is your rent higher than it would be elsewhere because you had a live-in person here? Yeah, you pay uh, that bit extra for the resident warden. Lorna Hankin, sorry, just kind of a little bit short there, um, speaking to some uh, worried 
residents. The reason I cut it short is I'm keen now to speak to our next guest, Colette McKeveney, who is the Chief Executive from Age UK Luton. Good morning, Colette. Age concern. Age concern. <laughs> I do apologise. There's a word missing from... I've just had my back clicked by Jonathan Vernon-Smith, Colette, and I'm a little bit lightheaded. I can only apologise. I can imagine. It was a, a marvellous experience. How <laughs> important are wardens to uh, people in sheltered accommodation? I think, uh, for many people, such as the people you've just been talking to, they are an absolutely marvellous, wonderful resource. And I think that the majority of wardens would, would actually fit that bill. They'd be absolutely wonderful. Um, however, there are a number of schemes that are operating without wardens at the moment, and I think it's quite interesting to hear what those residents have got to say. Well, have you spoken... I'm assuming you've spoken to those residents. Are they uh, in favour of, of th- these places where the wardens... Because the, the, s- the system that they're considering mm. is kind of like an o- a, a central office where if a warden is needed, they get dispatched to, to, to the care home. Does, does, that, does that work? Well, you see, this, 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 again, it's not apples and apples. It's so mm. difficult. This is why I think a consultation and a conversation needs to happen. Because there are people who have wardens like Jenny... Um, who are, you know, community organisers and they put an awful lot of work in. There are other people who've got wardens who, you know, the warden may not um, have the skill set or may not be as able or, you know, may not even be full-time and um, they get a lesser service. So I think, number one, you know, we need to be figuring out what is it that people need, what is it that people want, and um, number two, how do we actually give that to the maximum number of people? The residents in, in, in Bethune Close, who we spoke to there, obviously really value their warden, Jenny. But some of the things that, that they were telling us earlier on in the show that, that Jenny does, it sounds like they could be done by friends or by family. Things like helping organising bank accounts and, and, and coffee mornings and things like that. Should the council be paying for what seems to be just like a friend? Well, well, th- well, this is the other thing as well, because there are many people living out in the community, and obviously, you know, we do have um, clients in sheltered blocks, but more than, well, more than 80% of the clients that we would deal with at age concern would be people living in ordinary houses or ordinary flats and ordinary streets. And that is very much the model that we work with people. We can't have somebody, unfortunately, live in the road to look after all the elderly people in that road. Um, therefore, we have to visit them on a daily, well, not on a daily, a weekly basis or whenever a problem occurs. You're quite right. And I think this is part of the new conversation we need to have. You know, what's the role for family? What's the role for friends? What's the role for the wider community? Um, you know, the, the, the social getting together and so forth um, is very important to many residents. It's one of the reasons people choose to live in sheltered accommodation. But is that the only way to do it? I, th- I think really, if we're honest, this is all being driven by the changes that are coming around in things like housing benefit and, um, you know, how we pay for these particular resources. My concern, my biggest concern, is how we extend warden-type services to older people living in the community who often have no-one at all, no family, no friends. Um, so, so, you know, rather than reducing down the idea of saying we need to live in a particular type of accommodation to enjoy that type of service, I would like to see some of the debate centred around, you know, how do we actually make sure everybody has access to that type of service? Colette, thank you very much. Colette McKeveney, Chief Executive from, of course, Age Concern UK uh, in Luton. <laughs> On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, plans for the Riverside North development in Bedford. Have you heard about them? Well, the Star Rowing Club is unhappy about them because they say the club can't expand. Rowers have surrounded our radio car and our Coxless correspondent, Justin Dealey, is with them. He'll be on the show in the next few minutes. And the top ten reasons why people argue in bed have been revealed. Among them, <clears throat> excuse me, is having a TV 
in your bedroom. I'm not surprised. It's the sign of a failing relationship, isn't it? Well, later on, we'll have uh, a relationship expert on the show to tell me whether I'm right or indeed wrong. I suspect I'm right. The M1, we had a text earlier on from Tim saying, why don't most people use the M1 hard shoulder when the Matrix sign says you can use the M1 hard shoulder? Emma's from Milton Keynes. Emma, have you noticed this? Um, well, I've, I've noticed that people don't use a hard shoulder, and I, I travel down to Milton Keynes, um, southbound on the motorway a few times a week, and uh, I don't use it partly because the traffic flows reasonably well anyway most days, yeah. but also just traditionally you've kind of, um, you know, you don't use a hard shoulder, so I've seen the signs, but don't use it, but today I thought I would, oh. um, and there was a couple of things that occurred to me. One of them was... Um, yeah, you, you get a really good run, but what happens if somebody's actually broken down, you know, I'm, and I can't get back in, you know, to the inside lane quickly. But there are um, what they seem to call refuge areas, but they seem to be only every couple of miles where you could sort of pop into. But I'm still, I'd still be a bit worried if I'm sort of going down there at 60, 70 miles an hour and uh, there's somebody broken down. Um but that could happen but on then, that could happen on any lane on the motorway, couldn't it? Someone's broken down. Yeah, you just no, gonna, I know, but people tend to if they break down, they would tend to sort of go into yes. the, uh, into the hard shoulder, or, or I would anyway. That's what yeah. I understand it to be for, rather than uh, a sort of traffic lane. Um, and then the other thing that when you, the the disadvantage when you're using the hard shoulder is that when it comes down to junction, um, you do have to. Um, obviously go back into the mainstream lanes which is fine um but uh, having you know using using it for the first time today i've just noticed that that was something that you have to be aware of so Emma, did you, you just sorry go, did you i was gonna say did you use the the uh, hard shoulder because you listened to us I did, actually, yes. <laughs> yes, we've achieved... If I achieve nothing else in my life, Emma, <laughs> I've achieved that. And do you think you're going to use the hard shoulder again? Was, did the I, pros outweigh I the cons? I definitely will, yes. Excellent yes, stuff. Uh, yes, but I do, do, do feel a bit guilty. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't feel guilty, you're allowed to. I know, it's a little bit, I know it's legitimate, but I still felt a little bit guilty. I, but, know, uh, I know what I you like, mean. I like being a bit of a rebel, anyway. Good for you, Emma, thank you very much. There you go, you see, if, if I die tomorrow... Then I can say, well, at least we've got Emma from, the, uh, from Milton Keynes driving on the M1 hard shoulder. Richard from Dunstable says, it's good that people don't use the hard shoulder. It leaves it clear for me, but it does force you to undertake. And Mandy in Luton says, I'm with Tim on the M1 hard shoulder running. What a waste of time and money that was. There's enough cameras now. Why can't they find these inconsiderate morons? Right, we've been talking about this rowing. We may have, we may have made some progress earlier on when we've got the, the head of the rowing club and the, the head of the development to say, well, OK, we'll go out for a coffee. Let's see if we can thrash this out. The reason we're talking about this is because the Star Rowing Club in Bedford, which has seen huge success since the Olympics, has told BBC Three Counties that it will be unable to progress or expand if plans to build a hotel next to their boathouse are agreed. The proposed hotel is part of the Riverside North development and will see Bedford Town Hall knocked down and a nine-storey hotel erected in its place. But the club say the plan would mean their members wouldn't have anywhere to park their cars and the club itself will be prevented from expanding and becoming more successful. Well, as well as being uh, as a hotel, a cinema, restaurants and cafes are also included in plans for the Riverside North development, which would cost up to £15 million. Well, Justin is live at the site for us uh, now with some campaigners. Justin, what's happening there? Well, Ian, you mentioned earlier on the radio car has been surrounded by angry people. That is certainly the case. Uh, I'm live on Queen's Walk in Bedford by the river. Absolutely beautiful, it's got to be said. Now, this development you're talking about will be happening around 10 yards away from the club's 
front doors. A lot of people here saying the development will be ugly and certainly not in keeping with Bedford. John Lloyd is one of the protesters, um, angry about these plans. John, you're saying the whole development would be ugly. Um, can you tell us why that's the case? This is a conservation area and uh, the council has conservation rules, basically, which says that everything that is built near here should be in keeping and preserve the character and appearance of the old town. Um, The designs that uh, Copeland have come up with look like they've jumped out of Milton Keynes and landed in the wrong place. They do not suit this area at all. But in saying that, regeneration in the year 2013, shouldn't you be grateful? We're talking about half a million people coming into Bedford, new people coming in. Surely that's a great thing for the town. We want redevelopment. I have no objection to that at all. I want it to be in keeping with the policies, the conservation policies that the council has. So so how can a hotel, as we stand here along the river, which is stunning, anybody who's been here will certainly agree with that, a hotel by the river, how is that not in keeping? It's the architecture. The, the architecture around here is historic. Um, it comes from the magistrate's court. It is red brick, pitched roofs, gable ends, and it adds to the character of the town. This, this area already has a well-known character, and the policy is you have to build in keeping with that character. You turned up this morning with maps, with the plans. I'm clearly not happy about this. Um, are you disgusted with these plans? I think so, yes. The council have not um, gone about this in the right way. There should have been a design competition for this site. Uh, And I think even the council are a bit upset, certainly a lot of councillors, about the fact there hasn't been sufficient consultation. Uh, The the original consultation date in the newspaper was 17 days. Uh, It's been extended to 27 days which is today, so the the original consultation finishes today. The council have extended by two weeks, um, but we've really asked uh, for an eight-week consultation period, and that is uh, supported by 421 signatures, and the council seem to have ignored that. Okay, so much I want to ask you guys here this morning. Would you say, just lastly for yourself, John, that that Copeland Estates, the developers, and Bedford Borough Council, they have let you and the people of Bedford down? Absolutely. Absolutely agree. They've just built the wrong type or they've come forward with the wrong type of uh, design completely okay and uh, a word here as well with uh, simon clark simon you live across beds hearts and bucks you're the president of the star rowing club here how many members have you got here we've got at least 200 members and the um, the other club that's alongside us the viking uh, kayak club has uh, probably two to three hundred as well so there's a total of 500 we've been here 53 years and we deal with eight state schools um, it's not the upper class schools that everybody keeps talking about. And we can't expand. We have a waiting list. We have boats. Uh, we have to store elsewhere because we can't expand on the Greenland here. Uh, with this new development, it's going to create a lot of a lot of issues for us. We can't expand on, on the property. We can't hold events here because the, the uh, trailer parks are all going to disappear. It's going to make a big difference. And we are one of the top clubs in the country without any doubt at all. Isn't this, though, just about you losing your car parking spaces and your convenience? Is that the issue for you, really? No, it's not just the issue. We can't see with, with a, uh, next door to us having a, a nine-storey block of concrete. It doesn't uh, do this, this area at all, mm. any, any good at all. Uh, it's not a, an attraction to come down here. So it, it, we just need to you know, expand our business, and we can't do that when you've got something next door to us we can't build on on the area which they had taken up okay a couple of final questions for you how sad does it make you feel knowing that off the back of the olympic success you've been inundated with calls and you won't be able to expand how sad does that make you feel extremely sad i mean say that the the rowing starts the grassroots and the grassroots are are places like star club 
You know, mm. we, we, we start off with kids of 14 years old and go up to, to kids of, uh, to, to gentlemen of, in the 70s, you know, and uh, we, we, we right across the whole, the whole uh, age spectrum and we can't, we can't take on extra people who want to come and enjoy a sport which is, uh, mm. you know, a, a fabulous sport in, in this country. Yeah. Final point, very briefly on this. The consultation open until the 13th of March. That's been extended for you. Your message to our listeners this morning would be to, to, to basically go on there and have your view because you want people to save your club effectively, don't you? That, that, that's what you're saying Absolutely. this morning. Absolutely. Um, put your objections in uh, like we all have at the club here. Uh, and, uh, you know, towards a better Bedford is, is, uh, is to, do away, to do away with that uh, monstrosity that's going to be next door. OK, can't um, doubt your honest views this morning, guys. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Uh, John Lloyd there talking first of all, and Simon Clark, the president of the Star Rowing Club here in Bedford. So these people um, have clear views about this here, not happy at all, and um, they want something done about it. Justin, thank you very much indeed. We asked the council to comment this morning, but they told us they can't comment during a live planning application. The date for your response about the development has been extended until the 14th of March. If you want to get your voice heard, you can email planning at bedford.gov.uk Andrea, do you live in Bedford? Uh, I used to. What, what do you think about this plan to, to, to build a gorgeous hotel right by the riverside? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, it probably would, but I don't think that they need another hotel. There's already two hotels on the riverside, just quite literally, I don't know, 500 yards away from where they're planning on building another one. But the, the thing as well, is, it, it's a whole complex. There's going to be a cinema, there's going to be restaurants. It, 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 w- it would be good to rejuvenate Bedford slightly, wouldn't it? I don't think Bedford's Bedford that bad, actually. A lot of town centres have really suffered through the economic climate, and I think Bedford's probably one of the few that hasn't. Um, you know, we've, the, the, the big Woolworths that, that we love um, has now been taken over by a big net. So, you know, there's, there's not really that many empty empty shops or anything like that. We've already got a cinema. You don't need a cinema. Um, so the, the only thing that we've lost in, the, in recent years that I can think of off the top of my head is a bowling alley. But to be fair, you know, if it's not used, then it, it's going to go. Andrew, listen, thank you very much. Mike's in, in Bedford. Mike, what do you think about these yeah, plans? it's not just the rowing club that's going to suffer and It's the whole of the, the community of Bedford. Tell me how. That part of the river gives easy access for people who have disabilities and walking. You can get to it. There's a, currently a car park which they're going to build on, um, so people can park there. There's lots of disabled parking there, and the river is then within 50 yards of those people who can park their cars. There was also a very convenient toilet block, so if you were anywhere on the river, you could come along and use that toilet block. The council have already closed that down because they're pushing through these plans. And it is, Ian... It is very, a very ugly structure. I've looked and been to several planning, um, several of their exhibitions, and it is a really ugly structure. You know, it looks ugly as a model. So when they build it, when you're walking down the, the other side of the river, it's going to look like you've got, well, just modern structure. I'm not, I don't want to insult Milton Keynes, but it's all tinsel and tat. Bit like Everyone's being Keynes. rude about Milton Keynes this morning. Well, no, it... it it is a bit like you would expect in Milton Keynes, which is a modern city. Bedford is a market town. Yep. Milton Keynes is a modern city, and it's a nice place to go. You know what you're going to get. When you come to Bedford, you should know what you're going to get. It, also, when I went to the first exhibition, they had no 
plans for parking whatsoever. They were saying everybody can use the multi-storey car park. This was including the people who were going to stop in the hotels. So you're going to cross a busy road to get to the multi to get to the multi-storey car park. Yeah. Uh, even the right. opening hours had that been sorted out. Listen, listen. I'm, I've just I've just got a picture of this Riverside development. I think that looks fantastic. I'm not. I'm not saying this to be argumentative at all, Mike. It's, I, I'm looking at it now. So there's 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 a kind of um, a, a little market square in the middle with with uh, the, the covers on. There's a retail pavilion. I think it looks great. Yeah. You, well, not being funny, Ian. Are you a London person? I'm. F- I'm. Uh, f- I've lived in London. I don't yeah. live in London now. No, and I'm a Londoner. I was an ex-Londoner. Yeah, and, and it, it would look great for the centre of London. You just think in Bedford, it's, it's inappropriate. It's, it's, we look. We not being funny, and we look at things in a slightly different way. Bedford is a market town. It's got a lot going for it, as people have said, and this will be literally the blot on the landscape. Mike, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. I think it looks cracking. But do, do you agree with Mike <clears throat> that it, it, yeah, we're appropriate somewhere else? But not in Bedford. So in Luton, they're having a consultation. Should the wardens, the live-in wardens, in sheltered housing, be kept, or should they go and be centralised in an office somewhere? Well, Margaret, you're in Luton. You live in sheltered housing, is that right? Yes, I do. How important is the warden to you? Extremely. Why? Well, I don't think anybody seems to have grasped another idea or take on of sheltered housing. It's continuity. Uh, most of the ladies in Felmersham Court, where I live, they are in their late 80s, early 90s. And to see the same face when they have a problem, to know that there's somebody there and you can go to them and they will sort it out for you, brings some peace of mind. But not only that, if you get a resident warden, you see the same person, you have continuity. If you get mobile wardens, they're going to be all flustered, they don't know them, they don't know where they've come from, they've maybe never seen them before. And I think in that age, some people can grasp facts quickly, mm. some people can't grasp facts quickly. And I think the continuity aspect is absolutely one of the safest things there is because you can have a one-to-one, you feel safe, you feel secure, and you don't have to worry about... Oh, who do I go to? What do I do? Who's coming? You know, it's things like that. It's stupid little things, but they mount up to one big thing. Margaret, I've got an email from M. Have a listen to this. I live in a complex where we have a nine-to-five manager. We have a call system and it works. Every morning, the manager calls to check if we are okay. She's not a nurse and, in theory, not allowed to put on a plaster. She is a security blanket and a costly one because the full-time person has to be paid for by the residents. In the end, families do and should have the commitment to the aged. So Em is saying that families should be more responsible than the the, the warden. Well, what do you do if you haven't got a family? Mm. Who do you call on then? If you haven't got a family, who do you call on? This is what sheltered housing is all about. We put all the money into this country. We built this country up. And for goodness sake, can't they think that now we're in our late 80s, early 90s, that we need a little bit of respect and responsibility to us? Margaret, thank you very much indeed. Sue makes uh, the similar point you were there making, uh, making there. Margaret, why do you presume elderly and sheltered accommodation have family? Not all do. I don't think I did assume that. I was just putting that forward um, as, as a point that some people uh, might, be, uh, uh, might be thinking. Uh, Bedford. 
this new... It's not just a hotel. It's a whole complex uh, that's going to be built by the river, by the rowing club. We may have made progress with that. We're going to get someone from the rowing club and someone from the building and the, the, the company and maybe the mayor and see if we can get them together and thrash something out. But there's going to be a cinema, there's going to be restaurants and bars and it's, you know, it, it looks like a nice complex. I don't live there, so it's not my problem. As an outsider from Bedford, it looks nice. Noel is in Bedford. Noel, what do you think about these plans? Well, there's a couple of things going through my mind about this, I'm going to call it a carbuncle for one of the expression of building a new nine-storey building next to the rowing club. And then about a cinema when already there's plans for the current cinema to expand from, I believe, six screens to nine screens if the uh, council will approve things. And then on the other hand, um, we have this monstrosity of about an eight, nine-storey building already, which is used by the council, which they want to knock down. Well, why don't they just refurbish the old um, horrible um, town council building, shove visitors in there if that's what they want to do and keep the marketplace open for um, other uses. It just seems at the moment that uh, it's like, oh, here's a little bit of um, empty space by the river. Let's put something in No, it. it's going to create jobs. It's going to bring business and trade into the area. And just think how wonderful it would be to go away for a yeah, romantic w- even, weekend. I, I really doubt we're going to need um, a nine-screen cinema on one end of the river and I don't know how many screens they're putting in on this end of the river as well. Mm. Bedford isn't that big a town to be needing sort of 15, 20 screens. You know, this isn't Milton Keynes or anywhere like that. Every, no, I've got to end it there just because we're running out of time. I hope you feel you've got your say. Everyone's from Bedford. Is there a rivalry between Bedford and Milton Keynes? Everyone from Bedford who's commented on this has had a little dig at MK. Isn't that interesting? They've had a little, right, little ooh, it's not Milton Keynes, you know. We don't really do things like that over here. We've got to move on because we've only got a few minutes left and I I, I want to squeeze this in. The top ten reasons why people argue in bed have been revealed. One of them is to do with having a television in your bedroom. Well, I think that TV in the bedroom equals a bad relationship. Diana Parkinson is a relationship expert. Diana, I'm right, aren't I? If you've got a TV in your bedroom, there are problems with your relationship. Well, if there aren't problems with your relationship, there will be. Yes, I yes. got it right. Do you sleep in your TV room or do you sleep in your bedroom? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We used, to, we used to have a TV years ago, uh, and about four or five years ago, my wife said, um, it was before we got married, let's get rid of the TV in the bedroom. And I was kind of thinking, no, I don't think I can. Oh. And, I, and I did it, <laughs> and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. We talked, we had fun, we did all kinds of things. Well, yes, that's the idea, is to actually communicate better sex. Um, I mean, statistically, mm-hmm. it's been proven that couples without a TV in the bedroom have a much better sex life. Yeah. They're also much healthier. I, I, I buck that trend. But yes, carry on. Yes. Well, you may buck that yes. trend, but most people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's you. They're healthier, are they? <laughs> yes. Yes. And children. I mean, it, it's long been known it's not a good idea to have anything that's stimulating your mind. You know, if you think about watching television programmes where life tends to be exaggerated, yeah. so it can be very distressing. If you're then trying to sleep with all sorts of thoughts going through your mind, you're not going to get a good night's sleep. And also, if, it's a, if you're seeing couples or people in unhappy relationships, you're going to sleep on that. 
you know, your mind is, your, your unconscious mind is, is sort of thinking that and mulling that over. It's coming out in your dreams. Um, you wake up not feeling so good. It may be that you're more argumentative. Yeah, you know, it's a good way to have rouse. What should we have? Okay, so you've proved that I'm right and Justin Dealey, who's our reporter here, and I use that term very loosely, is completely wrong because he is insistent on having a TV in his room. He says it's good. He says sometimes he wants to relax, sometimes he wants to do other things. Is he, he a single man? No, he's not. He's got a very beautiful girlfriend. Well, I would say he's, he's batting out of his league. <laughs> yes, I know. I can't believe it. Yeah, I'd still say, why don't you just try it for, for, a, for a month or even a week and just see how oh. your life changes? Chat, cuddle. I mean, it should be sort of winding down for the night. A bedroom should be cosy and comforting and soothing, you know. Can we get, can we get Daly on the phone very quickly? Yes, phone Daly up. I'll tell you why, Diana, because you've, you've, you've come up with an interesting suggestion there that Justin Daly goes for, for a week yes. without having a television. Minimum, yes. Well, I, I don't think he'd go any, any further <laughs> than that. If he a week, then it would be interesting to know how he feels at the end of the week and how his beautiful girlfriend feels. Well, I- exactly. I, I, I would be curious to see if there's, there's any improvement uh, in his life whatsoever. We're just trying to see if we can get him on. Is there anything we should have in the bedroom that, that would help us relax and help us feel a bit better? Um, always make sure your bedroom feels comforting and cosy, that the bed is comfortable, that you have, if some people like to have a bit of light on at night, you know, that you just, that you feel comfortable and safe and cosy. That's the most, that's really all that you need. Cuddle up to your partner. If you're lucky enough to have a partner, cuddle up. That's soothing. It's lovely and you sleep well. That's the, the nice and so- See, listen, this is fantastic. I, I, I want to come to your bedroom. Not for anything, you know, not for <laughs> any the reason. Like- well, I do sleep recordings for people, you see, that they can play all night. So they're just about being what, soothed. Of, and- of you talking? Yes. <laughs> yes, I just... Well, it's and they pay for that. It, 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 Diana, just stay there. Anyway. We're, we're running out of time. We've got Justin Daly on. Justin, very quickly, yes. we have mm. uh, Diana with us, who is a relationship expert. Diana, you've got a challenge for Justin. Could, could you put it to I him, have please? Justin. Justin, I challenge you to go for one week with no television in your bedroom oh, and no radio challenge. either. Just, just, just silence. That challenge won't even last a day, I'm afraid. Oh, come on, we've got a come lovely... Come on, g- just, just for a week, just for a week. You won't die, the world won't end. Justin? No, I'll be very <laughs> bored, though. Justin! Just, yes. and there's more yes. sex. Better sex life. Better sex, Justin. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we'll, we will sit Diana, listen, you've been a very good sport. Thank you, Diana Parkinson. Justin Dealey, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Hello. Well, that's it. Do you hear how defensive Justin Dealey got? Well, that suggestion ain't going to last one day, love. <laughs> Back tomorrow at six. JBS is up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.